Hello, and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, episode 233, Mysterious Packages, the Best Escape Room and Mystery Games. This episode sponsored by our friends at Grand Gamers Guild. Thanks, Mark. So I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, helping you make your game nights better. With me tonight is my wife, partner, and less visible but very important part of the Tabletop Bellhop team, Deanna. Hey, folks. Now, unfortunately, Sean's day job has turned to crap lately, and his company has him staying on site, so he's not able to record tonight. So we figured we'd try something new and record an episode with just Deanna and I. Now, we're recording this live on Twitch, as we try to do every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, and things may not quite look as polished as usual. It's Sean who usually hosts the streams, and he's way better on the tech side of things than I am, though it's working so far so good. So hopefully you guys will be forgiving. (laughs) Uh, So one of the reasons I wanted to come on the show tonight is I wanted to talk about one of my favorite styles of games, which is mystery games or escape room style board games. And in general, I enjoy that type of game way more than Mo does. Uh, especially when it comes to the mystery-solving side of things. So since you're not likely to hear Mo raving about such things, I want to share some of my favorite mystery games and also help out with tonight's featured review, hmm. which is going to be Ghost in the Machine from the Mysterious Package Company. Um, plus, this way I get to sneak in some of my thoughts during the tabletop segment, and we'll be talking about all the games we've been playing lately, which includes something new that is also from the Mysterious Package Company, and that's the Dimensions. It's, uh, you probably saw most photos he's been dropping on social lately. It's this giant 3D pop-up paper dollhouse. It's really nifty. So you can find links to the games we talk about tonight and more through our show notes, which you'll be able to find at tabletopbellhop.com slash episode 233. That's 233, the numbers. Now, some of those links may be affiliate links, which cost you nothing to use, but may give us a small kickback. Also, some of the games we mentioned tonight will be review copies provided by publishers. Okay, we're going to start things off by stopping by the suggestion box. Welcome to the suggestion box, where we share some pertinent feedback we've received on our content lately. Here's a great comment we got over on BGG in regards to our Herb Witches expansion for the Quacks of Quedlingburg review. Stefan Hickey writes, A thorough and accurate appraisal of the Herb Witches expansion. I totally agree with all these modules. Deserve to be included in the base game. It offers a lot more options that expand on what's already in play. Now over 46,000 ingredient permutations I read elsewhere. It's worth the price of admission just to get the new set of books, each offering two new ways to play each ingredient, plus the two newly added ingredients. But, as you pointed out, the extra control provided by the Herb Witches is something great that hasn't Mm -hmm. been commented on enough by others. You add in the overall spill pot and black player components, and this is a must-have expansion by my definition meaning that I'd never want to play without it if it was available. Well, thank you for that encouraging comment, Stephen or Stefan. I do appreciate the part where they noted that we called out something that hasn't been mentioned by others. And I'm always encouraged when I hear feedback like that, because to me, that indicates that our longer format, more detailed review are worth doing. That kind of sets us apart from other people. Now, is there anything you wanted to add about Herb Witches for Quacks? Well, I agreed uh, with Stefan because it is a must-have expansion for me. That is the expansion that made Quacks playable for me. Mm-hmm. To Choosing the best moments to use your coins, it just that little bit of added strategy made the game so much more enjoyable to me. I just felt like I had more player agency. Okay, up next we have a comment from Relentless Rolento, 
who commented on our endangered unboxing. Uh, they say, love this game. I grabbed the expansion as well, and it almost triples, if not more, the ways to play for the better. Really easy rules and great to play with kids or adults. Well, thanks for that. Relentless. Uh, we got a copy of the expansion. It's actually, you can, might be able to even see it uh, above my shoulder over here. And um, as well as we actually have the Monarch Butterfly promo as well. And I am looking forward to checking those out. Uh, more so now, though, knowing how much it adds to the game. Uh, we had Sean and I actually did some digging on this. And we're like, holy cow, there's a lot of stuff out there for this game. Not just from Grand Gamers Guild, but also fan-created stuff, which is awesome to see. Now, one of the reasons I included this comment is we just had this out at our last public play event, and it was a huge hit. I actually can't believe how well it went over. So we are getting very, very close to reviewing Endangered. Could be as quick as next week. Now, Deanna isn't as much a hobby game fan, but I think this one actually tickled the right spot a few places. Yeah, I, overall, I did enjoy it. It it has a cooperative game problem. It's really hard not to quarterback in this one. Yeah. Maybe it's because I was playing with my own kids. I don't <laughs> know. But uh, the theme integration is really well done, and there's a lot to enjoy. Enough to keep me coming back, even though it's cooperative. All right, that's it for the suggestion box this week. Let's keep things moving with a couple of announcements. I've got a few things I want to cover this week, starting with an apology. So last week, Sean and I talked about great kids games, great kids games that are fun for adults. And this is kind of an update to a classic list we published. It was on cooperative games, but being more breadth, talking about more different types of games. And one of the other things I wanted to do was update the list. So we were only talking about things that were currently in print that people could actually get. Well, I messed up and I, I swear I checked every game that day before we went live to make sure I could find a copy somewhere. Now, I don't know if I looked and I found a copy of, of Pitch Car. Pitch Car is the problem. I don't know if I found one copy. You know, I happened to see the last copy available, say, on Amazon or somewhere. I don't remember where I checked. Or I looked it up on Board Game Oracle and there was somewhere it was available. Um, but it's not. You cannot get Pitch Car anywhere. To the extent I went to Eagle Griffin's website going, well, it's got to be there. Maybe it's between printings. The Pitch Car section on their site's gone. All that is left. Are, is the loop to loop, which is the, the final expansion they put out and a couple little track expansions, but like not even the core box expansion, just like you can get extra pieces of track and some foam rails and that's all that's left. So it seems pitch car is sadly out of print now, which I am sad to see because it is a fantastic game. Hmm. So uh, take this as a heads up. If you happen to find a copy at your FLGS, pick it up now. Yeah. Because it seems the core game is already going for silly prices online. Yeah, the one copy I did find, I didn't even want to throw a link in the show notes to because it was a little ridiculous. Uh, next up, just another reminder that we will be in Louisville, Kentucky from March 2nd until March 7th for the Gamma Expo, which we're looking forward to going to and meeting up with publishers and checking out the new hotness and networking with fellow content creators. I'm I'm getting hyped. The origin, the, the Expo... Gamma Expo hype is real here in the Tuzano house. Yeah, I'm getting excited about it. It's it's really close now. Uh, both Mo and myself will be there. So if you see us, be sure to come up and say hi. All right. Finally, I've got one for the locals. Anyone here in Windsor, Ontario, perhaps even over the border in the Detroit area. I am pleased to announce a brand new monthly game night starting up right here in Windsor in the Walkerville area of town in the Walkerville, the brewery district. I'm working with Walkerville Brewery themselves to bring you brews and board games, a once a month game night on Thursday evenings. 
And these events are going to run from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. with the first one scheduled for March 28th. Now, they're going to have food available specifically. I know there'll be pizza. I'm not sure exactly what else they're going to have. They will have their full tap list available with their fantastic beers and their fantastic cider, as well as non-alcoholic beverages. Now, I also know that particular night they're going to throw a deal out because they want people to drink and game. Pitchers of draft will be on sale. I think it's three bucks off, but I can't confirm that right now. Now, as usual for one of these events, I will personally be bringing a load of games. There are going to be at least three of us there who will be happy to teach you anything we bring. We may not all know all the games, but between all of us, we'll know all of them. And as usual, you are welcome and encouraged to bring your own games out to share them with others. And the brewery is just, it's the perfect space for it. They have big tables, nice lighting, and tasty beer. So I'm really excited about the new event. And the first one is on the Thursday at the end of March, which is the 28th. Right before the Easter holiday weekend, yes. right? It's the day before Good Friday. So hopefully a lot of people will be able to come out. At the Tabletop Bellhop, we're here to answer your gaming or game night questions. If you've got a question for us, you can send an email to questions at tabletopbellhop.com. You can head over to the website and click on Ask the Bellhop, and you'll get a form you can fill out. Or you can hit me up on social media, where I can be found everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. Now, tonight, the question we're answering is, what are some of the best mystery and escape room style games? And to help me answer that, I brought in an expert, someone who enjoys these style of games way more than I do. My wife and partner, Deanna, who does a lot of the behind the scenes work that goes into making the Tabletop Bellhop what it is. Hey, folks. Happy to be here tonight talking about some games that I might like just a wee bit more than Mo does. Now, before we get to our game recommendations, I don't want to just jump into a top 10 list or whatever. I want to spend a bit of time clarifying the type of games we're talking about and then talking about what we think makes a good one. What what makes for a good mystery escape room game? Okay, I'm going to let you do the whole definition thing. Go to it. All right. So... Clarifying the kind of games we're talking about, these these are the games that, that fall under tonight's umbrella. I want to share cooperative puzzle games where the information provided in them to play through is, is used to play through and get to some conclusion. Like you win the game, you finish the game by solving the case or by completing all the puzzles or by getting the box open or finally escaping. Now, these include a uh, murder mystery games where you're presented with a series of clues, as well as escape room and a box style games where you're presented with a mix of puzzles to solve. Okay, and while I enjoy both styles of games, the solve a mystery ones are definitely more my thing. Fair enough. Now, you're the one that really digs these style of games, as does our youngest daughter and your mother. You, you're the ones that like the mystery. You want a pile of evidence to sift through and collaborate things and, and figure out who's lying and not. Whereas our older daughter, Gwen, and I seem to enjoy more of the escape room puzzle style ones. Um, the type, especially if they have physical components where you're manipulating things. So it's kind of interesting because the family overall is kind of split between the two of them. But I think there's a lot of things in common by these two types of games, which is why I grouped them together tonight. And there's some overlap as well. Many of the murder mystery games have puzzles in them, and many of the puzzle games still tell a story. So what I'd like to talk about is what we think makes for a good mystery escape room game, and I'll let you go first. Okay, so this is a personal preference thing, but I think if it's a theme or an IP that you're interested in you're going to enjoy the game more it's true for most games right so for me i'm probably going to enjoy something that's historical or fantasy based versus modern 
And then um, when we were doing the Coded Chronicle games, like the there was the Scooby-Doo one. That was super fun because we could all buy in on it with Scooby-Doo. When we played The Shining, neither you or I had watched the movie. So Correct. it wasn't, it was okay. It was a playable game. Like it wasn't a, a, an un, you know, it wasn't an unplayable experience, but it just wasn't as fun as something where we were bought into the IP. Whereas on my side, I think the most important thing in one of these type of games is there is some theme or story or IP. I don't want just a bunch of random puzzles that are inter- not interconnected, that have nothing to do with the, with the story or the game. And we played a couple with this. I'm not going to call out the bad ones tonight. We're going to focus on the good ones. But we played a few where it was like the puzzle took you out of the game. It's like, you're following this logical path. Now go do this puzzle. It has nothing to do with it. Okay, now you get a little further. Go do another puzzle. I think it's important to have some form of theme and it can be even better if it's IP. Yeah. And like you said, I like when it it's cohesive and it's all tied together, not do a puzzle to unlock another three sentences of story to do a puzzle to unlock another two sentences of story. Yes. It's, it's just not as uh, fun or immersive. Now, the next um, one I would call out is, is bits. I want cool bits. I want neat things. I want things to manipulate. And I think this applies to both types of games. Like if, if I'm doing an escape room game, give me a, give me, give me tumblers, give me code wheels, give me stuff to play with. Give me neat bits, especially when it's something you don't expect. Oh yeah. Like uh, that, that, uh, the hunt to killer game, the Agatha Christie one, when it came in, we had the deluxe version and it came in that giant wooden box mm-hmm. and it just like, the game could have sucked at that point and I was already <laughs> going to be sucked in and the game did not suck, but, um, you know, you have a giant box, it's wooden, it, it, it has a locked drawer that's actually locked. It's got all these neat components. You don't know how they got like that just sucks you right in right at the yep. beginning. Right. So stuff like that. Um, even the one we're reviewing tonight, like it wasn't quite as over the top, but it's still like it just the way it was presented when mm-hmm. you open the box. There's a file case in there. Everything's in the file case. Like it's just draws you into the game. I totally agree, which actually kind of gets my next point is I want the game to be immersive. I want it to feel especially this. This is more so on the crime scene style ones is I want to feel like I'm investigating a crime. I want to feel like I'm looking at actual bits of evidence. But like that box, like uh, I'll call it out right now. We have an unboxing video. You can go look at it. It's Agatha Christie's Murder at the, sorry, Mystery at the Hunter's Lodge. It's either Mystery or Murder at the Hunter's Lodge. My bad. Uh, Something at the Hunter's Lodge. Mystery. Mystery Mystery at the Hunter's Hunter's Lodge. Lodge. Thank you. Agatha Christie's Mystery at the Hunter's Lodge Deluxe Edition. Like, just watch that unboxing video. Like, you can't help. There's a pennant. There's there's a drinking flask. And the drinking flask, when you pull it out, you find a note that was tucked inside the leather case. Like, it feels like you're actually involved. Another example of that, I think, is the um, Body of Evidence series that's new from Mysterious Package Company, where you're not only um, detective, you're also coroner, and you get a paper cadaver to actually perform an autopsy on. Yeah, that one was kind of neat. Um, This is just me, but I'm really picky about paper quality. So if you're telling me that I'm doing something that's from the turn of the century, but you put it on like super glossy poster stock, that's going to pull me right out of the game. There was a couple games we played that were, uh, um, you know what, it's just better that I can't remember because I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying anything negative about anyone. But there was a couple we played that were set in the turn of the century or 1920s or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the paper wa- and the printing was just, you know, Very and minor. also it all looked the same. If it was a newspaper clipping or a postcard or whatever, it was all printed on the same paper. No, that's not cool. Yeah, I, like the good ones have take that into uh, thought and have 
good paper quality. Yeah, my my escape room mystery game shouldn't look like it's a print and play from my yeah, own, you know, right? HP print. It shouldn't look like I printed it in my computer. Yeah. Um. So good proofreading. That's a big one. If there are errors in the text, like uh, we ran into one, and we were we were using uh, we were playing a a preview like prototype. the actual po- yeah prototype right so we we're playing a prototype so i'll give them some leeway there but there was an error in the text and it became a red herring and sent my mom and i off on like a 45 minute quest to try and figure out something that had nothing to do with the game right. so you know you need everything to make sense and to match within the game and if something doesn't make sense it had better be part of the puzzle yeah this is a hard one we, we've had some very negative experiences with these style of games due to mistakes. Um, not even necessarily just, just like typos, but like puzzles that don't actually work or, or things mm-hmm. that don't line up or they send you to passages in a book and it ends up one of the passages was duplicated. I remember trying to solve one game and having to flip through the book and read every passage to find the one that logically made sense to be next. Yes, I had forgotten about that. That was awful. So, and it needs to be somewhat historically accurate. Like, I I don't need a PhD level history lesson here, but I don't want glaring discrepancies, right? Um, yeah. Something that's just going to pull you right out of the game, make you go, what the heck? No, I agree. And, and I'm going to bring up one of our later points now because it fits in here is anachronism. If the game is all about going through mafia notes being passed to each other, and set in the 1920s, don't have me Google something. Don't have me have to look something on the internet. Even having to play an audio clip just brings you out of that immersion. Don't throw in anachronism where possible. Like, I get it. Some games are app-based, and I understand it. We're going to talk about some later tonight that are set mm-hmm. in medieval times that use apps but do a good job of it. But, like, make sure it's it, it just it fits. Exactly. Yeah. I find that one to be, that can really ruin a game for me. Yeah, it um, just brings you out of it, right? Like you no yeah. longer feel like you're investigating this. You now feel like you're playing a game. And again, immersion is a huge part of these games to me. And I'm getting distracted by my Facebook messages that are popping up, right? That's not what I want to yeah. do. Yep. Um, so something else I'm looking for is accurate age guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's going to be gruesome, tell me about it up front. Like, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I want to know the tone of the game going into it. I don't want to yep. be surprised by it. Totally agree. Uh, let let you know. Like I, I know, I give us a rating. Give us tell us the contents. It's it's like we talk about with role playing games and safety tools and session zero. Like all that information for these style of games needs to be on the box or easy to find somehow, especially on the box. But if you're ordering the game online, it should be available on your website. Describe what's in here. Content warnings are important. Um, and we're talking about this from experience. So that's why we wanted to call this one out. Um, one of the things I look for is a compelling story, interesting plot. We mentioned this a bit above, but we don't want just a bunch of unconnected puzzles. The puzzles need to be tied to the theme. And I'm going to pull out a negative of a game we overall have good thoughts on. When I mentioned the coroner game, well, the coroner game kind of pulls you out of it when you find like a silly match the lines puzzle is the end result once you're in the body. And I'm like, well, what the heck? Like you're making me be a coroner, but now I'm playing connect the dots. They give you a full on cadaver. And I mean, on the one hand, it wasn't gruesome. Yeah. It was totally family friendly, but you open up and you have like polka dot puzzles inside. Yeah. Or abstract puzzles inside this cadaver. And I was like, that's a little jarring. And we've definitely a good game, but that part of it broke. Continuity. Yes. 
And we played like, like uh, uh, here's a good example is the exit series of games go kind of both ways. Some have this like great overarching plot and everything. And then others are literally just turn the page, solve the next puzzle. And, mm-hmm. and it's such, I, I much prefer the ones where I feel I'm solving the puzzles for a reason. Yes. And I mean, there's also uh, varying levels of, um, how do I say this? Like some of these are really well written. The, mm-hmm. the one that I, I mark out as my favorite is exceptionally well written. Like I was just blown away by how solid the writing is in it. So uh, that's definitely a plus. Now, a draw for us specifically, because we do not do these a solo experience. We always it's always at least two of us. Usually it's all four of us. And sometimes we bring in Dee's mom, Brenda, as well. because She loves these style of games. And we're playing with five of us. And sometimes Sean's there and we'll play with six is what I love to see in these games is a way to split the puzzles up and have people work on different parts simultaneously. And that really varies in these games. Like some very much feel designed to work with only one person, but I much prefer it. Give multiple people different things to do, whether that you give us multiple puzzles at once or there's just enough different clues that everyone can be doing different parts of it. Someone can grab all the police reports while someone else looks at the witness reports, whatever that happens to be. Please give us some way for at least two people, like at least two things you can split up, if not more. And I remember a positive example of that is when we did the holiday hijinks, the Valentine's Day one. Right away, it unlocked two two branching paths yes. right off the go. So we each had our own thing to do. And that was that was kind of cool, right? And then we could switch off when we got stuck. So as Sean pointed out for that one, and I, I kind of agree with him, if you're going for a Valentine's date theme, it might have been more thematic to have us work on the same puzzles together. That's but I did true. appreciate that. That's true. Let's all work together apart. Yes, exactly. Um, length of play is important. Um, they, some are very short, some are very long, and in a shocking way. Um, for one of the things, this should be very clearly stated at the beginning, just like content. The length of the game should be very clear. Some companies are great. They say, like, exit games are about an hour. Holiday hygiene games are about an hour, except one that clearly, very clearly stated it's two hours and can be split over. We had no clue how long the Ghost in the Machine was going to be until, I, like, we were partway through and I was like, holy cow, we're still in book one. But now, I will say we had a preview copy and it does have the info on their website now. Now, yes. I don't know if it was there before and we missed it or we just didn't do our due diligence. I think mainly at that point we had probably played 10 different mixes of murder and escape room games and we just expect them to be an hour or two, right? Like, that's just mm-hmm. kind of the standard length. Not this one. This this is like eight to ten hours, right? Hunter Killer was on the long side too. That Agatha Christie one. Um, yeah. You know what? Since they're they're one and dones, uh, you can only play these games once, and then ideally you can repackage them, and give them to someone else. I like when they're on the longer side. I feel like I'm getting, you know, it's worth the price of admission. Mm, no, I agree. Uh, the length of play is nice. Just know what you make it clear, so we know when we're get going in. I think that's the big thing. Now I'm going to call out something: is the replayability. A huge bonus for any of these games is a way to reset it, a way that someone else can play. Most of these games are one and done. I would say probably all of them are one and done for a specific group, as in you're never going to be able to play them again because you'll know the puzzles, you'll know the mystery, you'll know who done it. But most of them also get destroyed while you're playing. They expect you to write on things and fold things and cut things, which is awesome because that really enhances the immersion. It's, It's the same thing I found I love legacy games. Risk Legacy taught me that cutting up a card is awesome because what I've done in the game is now permanent. I made a permanent change. My my decisions matter. I can't just restart 
and play again tomorrow and it'll be it'll be different now. And that's what I love about these games. But even better, though, is when they include a way to reset. And we're starting to see more of that. And it is greatly appreciated. Now, I remember the first exit game we played. We tried so hard oh, to yeah. not ruin anything. And it, almost, it ruined the experience. It made it less fun because we were just going out of our way to, to try not to cut or bend or write yes. on anything. Right. And um, the one that uh, really impressed me is, was when we opened the Doom Mentions the other mm-hmm. day. It had a, re- a replay pack inside it. Yep. But not only that, there's a little little skull symbol that's on every anything in the game that you are going to destroy while playing yeah. that will be replaced in that pack. And then you know, you're not wondering, is this okay to destroy? Should should I be bending this or cutting this up? You know, you can do it. Yep. And you can still use the recharge pack to reset it to give it away to someone else. So I thought that was super cool. Now, they did only include one recharge pack. So you're still you're only getting two uses out of the game, but that's still better than nothing. I wonder if you could buy another one. That would be a that's thing. possible. I, I there's something to look up. I have no idea, up. but that's that's a that would be a that would be cool. Going back to length of play, if you're going to give me more than an hour, anything more than an hour, give me some way to save the game. Give, give me a, a logical break, some way to stop and come back to it later. In my opinion, that points an hour. I think some people might even say half an hour. I need to be able to pause my game and come back to it. Just we're, we're adults. Things come up. We have kids. The the, the phone rings. Whatever. Um, give me a way to pause and give me a way to come back, especially with the longer. Uh, yeah, half an hour would be excessive, but an hour, two hours, give me a save point if the yeah. game's not going to be wrapping up at that point. Yeah. And then you have the choice. You can go longer if you want right. to, but but also it gives you an idea of how much more you're getting into, too. If you're sitting there trying to judge, well, it's eight o'clock. Do we want to keep going or, uh, you know, if there's logical breaks, mm-hmm. right? So Now, a huge one for me and and most games are pretty good at this, is a clue system, but more specifically an incremental clue system where you get a multiple levels of hints where the first hint is all it's going to tell you is, do you have the stuff in front of you? Are you looking at the right cards? Have you opened evidence pack six? Are you looking at the map? Something, some, or have you already been to the barn? Whatever, Whatever that first hint may be where it doesn't spoil anything. It's just making sure you're looking at the right stuff, because often that's enough. In many of the games we played, we're like, oh, this, okay, wait, I thought that thing we touched half an hour ago, we were done with, and we put it back in the box, we still need that. That's why we're stuck. Many times that's happened. And then it it just increments, right? Like, now that you have the things, here's what they combine with. Okay, now that you know what they combine with, here's the kind of thing you want to look at it. Okay, now that you know it's a word puzzle, it's a five-letter word, whatever, and then... Take, give me multiple steps before you give me the final answer. And then when you give me the final answer, explain why. Because we had a problem with that in one of the first ones of these we played, where there was part of the thing we would have never got, and nowhere in the game did it explain where that answer came from, and it drove us bonkers. Give me both. If I remember correctly, we looked it up online, and we eventually figured it out. Yes, yes. I, had, I had to watch out someone else play through who figured it out to find out how they were supposed to figure it out. And wasn't there, there was some kind of typo involved anyway, so we really would have never gotten it? Yeah, in that particular one, yes, there was an errata. There were two printings, and it changed between the German printing and the English printing. Not to try to hint too much at what company (laughs) that might be. Um, You know what? Like, half the time I'm like, oh, I don't even want to see clues or hints. It just tempts me. I, I don't even want to know they exist. But then, when you get stuck to the point that, like, everyone at the table is starting to get titchy and argue with each other... 
it is nice to be able to have something to pull yes. up and look at. No, and I agree. And, and we've said this on every review we've ever done on any of these games, although I don't think it's in tonight's review. Use hints. Don't get to the point you're frustrated. You you, you can, you can, I, I came with you, the, what's the term before frustrated? You, you know, you can be engaged, you can be working on it and, and, and. I want to be challenged. Challenged, yeah. yes, yes. Yes. Challenged, good, frustrated, bad. Um, it, it's, it comes more into play in the escape room style than the mystery games. Unless something's gone really off. Yeah. You should probably be on the right track with the mystery solving ones that you don't need. But with the ones that it's just a series of puzzles, sometimes yeah. getting stuck in that one puzzle, it's no fun. Yep. Another big one, unfortunately, is quality control. Speaking of no fun. Customer support, because another thing we call out on every one of these reviews now is most of these games come with a checklist to verify what's in the box. Use it. Please go through there. Um, You don't want to be playing a game for three hours to get completely stumped only to find out you're missing something. Like it literally was not in the box. Unfortunately, we've seen this happen. Then. Oh, yeah. Then it comes just, to customer we support. Could just, we could have just gone through the checkout, the, the checklist, and we didn't bother. We skipped that step. Yep. And then three hours in, we were quite frustrated. And that was one of those. So, so again, I don't, I'm, I'm not as big a fan of the crime game. So I'm usually the one that's like, I'll grab my phone and Google something. And then I'll just kind of sit back and play GM and give hints. Because I'm not the one that's enjoying the game as much as everyone else anyway. And that was one I'm like, okay, wait, the, the, the clue is here. And everyone's like, well, I can't find that. And oh, it was a mess. It was a mess. Um, also, uh, this is true of most board games these days. Check for an FAQ. I hate that you have to do it, but check for an FAQ probably before errata. you start playing. Yeah, check for an FAQ and an errata. So, so I think those are the main points. Negative, and then we got bonus points, bonus extra positive points if you have a good plot twist. There's a couple lately that we've played that had like a, a really solid plot twist near the end that I enjoyed. And the other thing that you get bonus points for is if you get some kind of artifact to keep at the end. Yeah. Like, you know, something solid, metal, wood, some some doohickey that you can keep. And, and you know, if there's I, something for different people at the table to take home, that's always fun. That is cool. It, it, honestly, it doesn't have to be that big a deal. We no, have even, played games. Even like those little... Those little plastic skulls in that yes. one exit game. Yes, that exactly. That was a neat thing. There was three of them, and I, you know, each of the kids got to take one, and it was like, yeah, you have a little something to remember doing that event. I remember doing that by, yeah. Heck, one exit game, when we finished it, gave us a recipe. Even that's mm. just cool. Yes, that's <laughs> I'm right, like, that's yeah. just neat. Yep. Yeah, give me something. Give me an artifact at the end. That's that's actually one of the things I like about these kind of games. Now, some of the games are, are basically artifacts at the end. Like, Dimensions itself is an artifact. You have a pop-up dollhouse. At the oh, end of it, but else. it's always nice to get something else. Um, and there's the, depending on the games, some companies are great at this and some give you nothing at the end. You're just like, Oh, I'm done. Yeah. I got a score. Okay. Bunch of stuff to recycle. Yeah. Okay. Really? Yeah. All right. Now that we've shared some of our thoughts on what makes for a good escape room or mystery game, let's get onto a list of some of the best games we've played in this genre of games. Okay. Do mentions. I'm going to. Start with Dimensions. We're just starting to explore this one, but oh, wow, is it ever impressive. Okay, so it's a giant pop-up paper dollhouse, and I know Mo's been sharing a lot of photos of it online lately. It's like a two-story massive pop-up. When you open it up, all the furniture inside the dollhouse pops up. There's little books you can open and cupboards you can open all inside this thing. And I was like, wow, that 
right there. I'm, I'm sold. Mm-hmm. That looks so cool and all the pictures of it online. But then when we did the unboxing, you find out it also comes with this really elaborate scrapbook journal. Yeah. And it's, I'm wow. We started playing it last week and I was just so impressed with it. And it is broken into five chapters with easy spots to stop at. And it is very much, it's not a murder mystery. It's an escape room in a box, lit, yeah. an escape room in a dollhouse, really. So it's a it's a string of puzzles. But, like, the plot around it isn't bad. It's cohesive. It's I was really enjoying it. And, yeah. And that scrapbook was surprisingly cool. It had yes. lots of cool little bits in it. Uh, you get a giant dollhouse. You get a magnifying glass, like a big wooden magnifying glass. And they give you a little flashlight to poke around looking the dollhouse with. So I was just... It was super well done. Yeah, it's extremely neat. And I would say it's it's kind of a mashup of the murder mystery with the escape room. But so far, the puzzles are very escape room feeling. But like the story leading up to it, because you've got you've got five chapters and each of the chapters is a different investigator that was there before you who failed. So mm-hmm. you actually get like their notes and stuff. So it's kind of cool. It's, it's got some more, a lot more story than some of the escape room games we've played. So I do dig that. One of the things to watch for, though, is this is a long one because those five chapters they say each one's one to two hours. And the one we played took us about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- But that was including, like, learning the game, right? Like, reading through. There's a thick instruction book kind of walking it through all of it and so on. And I, there is a lot of playtime in this box. You're looking at, like, 10 hours worth of playtime, which is quite impressive. The only thing I'm going to call them out right here on this is it's really silly to start an instruction book by saying, no app, no online, you don't need the internet, you're going to play this at a table together, and then have a QR code that reads you off the story. Yes. Like, so what? This game is going to be totally analog. Put your phones away. Okay, now scan this QR code. I'm like, did that, that, that was happen? it. That, that, that was like, there, you need an editor there. <laughs> you got some conflicting information. It was in the wrong order, guys. Um. All right. So my first game on this list is Scooby-Doo Escape from the Haunted Mansion, a coded chronicle game from um, Jay and Sen, some fantastic Canadian game designers published by the op. We love the coded chronicle series. The coded chronicle series is just so well done and so neat. And honestly, this is the best of that series. One of the best family game nights we've ever had with Deanna, myself and our two kids was playing Scooby-Doo Escape from the Haunted Mansion. It was just that engaging. Now, the system's fascinating where you have different characters that have numbers on them, and then you have map tiles with other numbers, and you match the character to the map tile to look up a section in a book, and each character does something different. Like Shaggy tries to eat it, Scooby tries to sniff it, Um, I don't even remember, Velma tried to work with it, I think, use it, and every character had a different skill to use. Such a fantastic system that did a really good um, job capturing that kind of point and click adventure feel in board game form. It and I got to say the and- kids just devoured doing silly things, having Shaggy try to eat and lick everything. Yeah, it, it blew me away how much it captured that point and click in a board game. And I was so enamored with the mechanics when we when we first got into it. And yeah. I was so excited um, at the entire concept of the Coded Chronicle games. And then it was just so much fun. It was definitely one of the best game nights we've ever had as a family. Yeah. The kids were just giggling. <laughs> and we also solved a mystery, but they were going around and having, you know, characters do silly things and interact in silly ways. Um, and the theming was on point. It was very Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. And um, our kids aren't 
big Scooby fans. So even with them not really knowing the IP, they still had an awesome time with it. And it is just like that game is a 10 out of 10. It's just super fun. The next one on our list, number three, is Hidden Games Crime Scene Case Number One, the Maple Brook case. So uh, that's the Canadian version, and I think it's neat that they localized yeah. it. There was, it's still the same game, but it's not called the Maple Brook case in the states, and I don't remember what it is called. But they they localized it, so I thought that was cool. And for a modern setting, I actually really enjoyed this one. Like you, you do need interact internet access and there were parts where you even listened to audio recordings but it didn't take you out of the story it felt appropriate because you were doing a police procedural right so right. that it wasn't as weird as if i'm doing something turn of the century and they're telling me to pull up a sound file and i just loved like the sheer number of paper clippings and case files and photos and how it was all there to look through and we just we took over my mom's entire dining room table <laughs> it looked like we were having some kind of just crazy escapade and um it was easy to split up because there was so much to look at, and it was super fun. So the U.S. version is called the New Haven Case. And what they call this is a, a realistic crime scene game. And I got to agree, it's it's you get a manila envelope and you crack it open and it's basically we're stumped. Here you go, detective, see what you can figure out. And I thought that was extremely well done. And like Tiana, what I was really impressed by was how much stuff you got, how well organized that stuff was, and just the... The quality here was one where the papers were all different. The newspaper was on newsprint and the postcards were postcards and there were Polaroids and it was like a Polaroid. It obviously wasn't a real Polaroid, but it was really close. Like you, it felt like a Polaroid. And what I really loved about this one is they gave you one tool. Cause a big part about this game was um, looking at witness statements and the timing things happened. And they actually gave you a, a day planner, like a calendar that they fully expect you to write on. And that's where you make your notes on. And that just worked really well to tie everything together. I thought that was a fantastic like prop and tool to include in the game. Yeah, so everyone at the table could make their own notes, and then we were just pulling it all together on this calendar. It yeah. was really cool. And I think, off the top of my head, that the MSRP was really reasonable on those two. For, so for like a cheaper game, I was just super impressed with them. It looks like 25 US. See, I thought it was 1995, but you know what? I might be thinking of five years ago, too. <laughs> that we played too. played that one a while ago. Yeah, we did play that one a while ago. All right, my next one is uh, another Coded Chronicles game because, like I said, I loved the series, and that is The Goonies Escape with One-Eyed Willie's Rich Stuff. Um, I thought Scooby-Doo was better, I got to say. We, we don't always present these lists in order, um, but I, I, I will say Scooby's better, but I really enjoyed The Goonies. Now, when we did sit down to play this, we, we did the good parent thing and sat down and watched The Goonies with the kids. So they at least knew what was going on. But I don't think they had the attachment to the Goonies. Like, it just wasn't that big a deal. And I got to say, growing up, living in Windsor, and the threat being that the kids are going to move to Detroit just had a personal impact, I think, on people in this area that may not have uh, other people watching the Goonies around the world. So this was one of my favorite movies, and I got to play it in board game form. And that is where they nailed it. This is where, where, where Sen and Chris just, just blew it away is they worked with some of the original people, and I, I don't remember what film company produces the Goonies, but they made it part of the movie. It's basically, it could be cut scenes that, that were, didn't make it in the film and you played through them. I love the way that this let me experience the Goonies, a movie I grew up loving in a new way, and made me feel like I was part of that plot. That was awesome. And it, it just felt like it was adding to the story, and it, and it was really well done. The writing was great, and it just felt... Like, it was very on point, very on theme. 
And I love the Coded Chronicles system mechanically, so I was super excited to have another game to to play in the in the series. But I really preferred the Scooby Doo one a lot. I I liked the way that the stuff was broken up into the envelopes for the Goonies. I I just there were parts that felt fiddly to me. I I didn't like the way the map laid out, and it progressed in weird ways, and it took up a lot of table space. And I remember. Because we didn't know, for example, that it was going to just suddenly keep building off to the left, and then we right. kept, we have to slide it around the table, and then it would build off the other side. We have to slide it around the table again. So I don't know. It's just fiddly, and I didn't like it as much as Scooby. Yeah, only I remember one puzzle with a bridge and a rope that that was not well designed, or we just didn't get it. Other than mm-hmm. that, like I said I enjoyed that one. I just think you liked it better than I did. Like it wasn't yeah. bad by by a long shot, but Fair. not as solid as Scooby. Um, so we're on to number five. And that's Body of Evidence Best Served Cold, which is also from the Mysterious Package Company. And this game is pretty darn unique. Yeah. Um, You actually get a giant paper cadaver that you just fold out. When you open it, first thing you see is a toe tag. And and somehow this is not at all gruesome, despite the fact that there is a almost life-size cadaver. Um, uh, You do actually dissect by opening it in a special way, and you... Uh, play the coroner as well as the detective in the game. But like we talked about this earlier, there was a bit of disconnect between the coroner's examination and the abstract puzzles that ensued. Mm-hmm. And at the time, that was a surprise that disappointed me. Now, knowing that that's what to expect, I would totally play through uh, another one of these. Like, I think mm-hmm. they said it's going to be a series. So if they were to come out with another one, I would know what to expect. I'd probably enjoy it more. And this was modern, which is another negative for me. But the storyline was well done. It had yep. really well-developed characters. And it felt like you were solving a mystery. Yeah, this one was super neat. Um, and I'll say right here, they have two more coming. So the next two Body of Evidence games are being crowdfunded. Um, I know you can follow the project right now on Kickstarter. I don't know. It might be live by the time you listen to this. So there are two more coming. Uh, what we played was a prototype. So we didn't get to see the final version of things. And I, I didn't know what to think with this. Like, like I was on the same place as our kids who were like, do I really want to dissect the cadaver? I don't know. I don't think I do. And then I'm like, I don't know. I, I, is it going to be gruesome? Is it not? But once we got into it, it was pretty cool. Like, this was one that I didn't plan on playing. I was going to sit and take some pictures and let Deanna and her mom play. And I ended up getting as involved as they did. And I ended up helping take part. in. I, I basically, I played the whole thing with them. And I didn't intend to originally. And I think what I like there is it did the whole crime scene thing, right? Like talking to witnesses and checking coroner's reports and checking police reports and figuring out the times of things, but also included the puzzles. So for me, it was like the perfect mashup of the escape room with the mystery. So that was one aspect of a body of evidence I really enjoyed. Yes. And I felt like I could be like, here, you work on the puzzle. I'll work on the mystery. Yeah. Well, it was kind of you and your mom were busy doing something with police reports while I was cutting into someone's head. Uh, Next up. I have another mashup that's similar to this um, that's on this list for the exact same reason as what I just said. It's La Famiglia from Puzzling Pursuits. Um, this was just, I don't know, it just wasn't what I expected because the the Puzzling Pursuits, the name of the company's Puzzling Pursuits. So this is a, a case of mixed expectations. I was expecting crime scene. I was expecting piles of evidence. Again, everything you do in a murder mystery, right? And that's not what this was. This was puzzles. I expected clues and got puzzles. So far, both the games we tried from Puzzling Pursuits had this, but La Famiglia wins by far because the puzzles fit the story. The story was about the mafia 
and it was about them passing ciphers to each other to get hidden information around town without notifying the police. And while you had to decipher the ciphers, the, the puzzles were the story. And it felt like you were deciphering Mafia ciphers. And that was fascinating. I really enjoyed La Famiglia. And what's funny is I enjoyed the first game we played for them, Blackbrim, quite a bit for that escape room puzzle experience. But this was just better. It, it had the story that went behind it. I think it's good we played them in that order because, yes. yeah, we played Blackbrim and I was like, oh, that was pretty good. I like that. And then we, we did La Famiglia later and I was like, oh, no, this one's way better. Mm-hmm. Like of, of the two, I much preferred that one. The historic tie-ins were solid, and the puzzles felt like they were part of the story, not breaks from the story and then move on, right? Like, And it was a while back now when we played this, so I can't remember the exact details, but I remember our eldest daughter, um, there was something in high school history class that she was currently taking that actually was mentioned in the newspaper clippings for the game. So I remember that was kind of fun when we were playing it that night. So uh, on to number seven, Hunt a Killer, Mystery at Hunter's Lodge. Okay, we were talking about this a little earlier. I was so excited about diving into this game because it's the one that comes in the big, big wooden box, which is like a giant jewelry box. Mm-hmm. It has a locked bottom drawer. You flip it open, there's like a signet ring in there and all kinds of papers and booklets. And and one of the small silly details that excited me was the paper quality. Every <laughs> All the clippings and the papers were the right type of paper. They didn't feel like weird, suspicious, modern, you know? <laughs> um and then this is the deluxe version we're talking about. There's also a regular version, which actually has some neat artifacts, but it's not quite as over the top. So like this, this game was so immersive and it had a great storyline, which is based on the short story by Agatha Christie, but it doesn't have the same answer as the right. short story did. So you're not spoiled by reading the one or the other. Um, but to give you an idea of how immersive this is, we gave it to my mom as a Christmas gift. Yeah. And we we're just going to open it up and take a quick peek at it. We weren't going to play it. And the next thing you know, we're taking notes. We're yelling out ideas and clues. (laughs) We're like, did you see this thing? Look at this. And it's like three hours later, and we're setting it aside to continue with another day. Yeah, and the amusing one about that was my mom was present because it was Christmas. Well, it was Boxing Day. We were probably over at your mom's or possibly on Christmas Day. I don't remember which, but we were there. My mom was there, too. My my mom's, despite the fact she goes to Euchre every Wednesday night, claims she's not a game player. Well, she's sitting in the chair kind of in the corner, and she keeps helping out. She keeps yelling out clues that don't forget about, I, I don't remember what, don't forget about the wife or check the fireplace or, oh, wait, did the clue mean this? This was awesome. Like, like so fantastic looking, so over the top. I have never experienced a game product that was as impressive as this. We talked earlier about how we want games that leave you with artifacts. Well, the whole thing is an artifact. There, there, there's nothing in there that's not worth keeping in the end, like from watches to flasks to the wooden box itself. There's a pendant that I want to hang up in our game room when we finally finish it. Now, we will call out that this one was the game that we had a problem with because this was completely marred by our copy of the game being incomplete. We were missing an entire booklet from our copy of this game, which actually made the case unsolvable. So we will finish it at some point. We were provided PDF copies of the booklet, which talk about being pulled out of your immersion. We do have those, and at some point we do plan on finishing this one, but we're going to have to get through Dimensions at least first. Next up, I have Exit the Secret Lab. Um, in general, the whole Exit series, but I want to I wanted to call out specific games tonight, not just a, like a whole genre of games. And Exit was actually our first Exit game, but looking back on it, it's actually one of my favorite. 
So one of the problems I had when we first played The Secret Lab is we had never played an exit game before. And the exit games have a very distinct system. They all work the same. The mechanics are the same. You are looking for three things that you're going to put on a code wheel to get an answer. And like that, that, and that has you look at cards and the way the cards look at tell you if you're on the right track or not, right? That whole aspect of it was rough. It was a rough learning curve in exit. But once we got past that, the actual stuff you had to do was fascinating. In this game, you're cutting things. You're assembling things. Pretty much every piece of the game, including the box itself, it can be part of the puzzle with the Exit series. And the Secret Lab, where it ended up shining, is we went on to play some other ones that were lower difficulty, and they would seem too easy. Like, I just wish the Exit, the Secret Lab wasn't our first. I wish we had started with one easier just to get that system down, to get the, the how Exit games work. You just, you almost need... Um, the Unlock series does a great job of this. They include this little small 10-card deck that kind of lets you learn the game before you play your first game. I needed that for Exit. So well, The Secret Lab is my favorite of all the ones we played, I recommend The Haunted Roller Coaster as your first one because it's fun. It's got a silly, spooky Halloween theme, but it's more linear and does a great job of introducing the Exit series and how it works. Yeah, and I remember the kids really enjoyed when we did the the haunted roller coaster yes. one. Yeah, um, my my personal favorite is the Catacombs of Horror. Um, I like that it's set in the catacombs under Paris. Mm-hmm. It's double length. It's actually a two part, or you can play it in one night if you're ambitious. Um, <laughs> it had some really neat components. These little little plastic skulls, and there was an actual candle and. There's just some really neat stuff going on in this one, and yep. I like that it was it was a little longer and more meaty because sometimes the exit games feel you know if we if we finish them in 50 minutes, I'm like okay now now what you know yeah. like it just it doesn't feel like quite enough for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, so number nine on the list is Chronicles of Crime 1400. Um, now you're solving mysteries, which I like. Uh, you need an app to play. And you travel to different places and you interact with and question the suspects via the app. And there's a VR component. And I have to say, when I first heard about that, all of that sounded awful. Like it just sounded gimmicky and, and it's in the 1400s, but you're using an app and VR and like that sounds jarring, you know, Mm -hmm. but then we played it and I loved it. It was one of my favorite games. I super enjoyed it. Um, because it, the, the app is not. It's definitely a very integral part of the game. There's no other way that they could have technically done that game because time passes as you're playing the game and what order you go. And I don't mean um, it's not like counting your every second, but what order you talk to folks in matters. It takes time to travel from one spot to another on the map that you're on. Um, It's it's very intricate and very neat. And I really enjoyed the time period and the setting. and. Yeah, it was just super cool. I want to get back to the table, but Mo didn't really care for it. Yeah, and I, and honestly, I don't even know what it was I didn't like about this. Like, like the system's very well done. Um, I I I had more of a problem with the immersion system, like the whole scanning QR codes because it's all QR code based. So like, if you're talking to a person and you want to ask them about an item in your inventory, you scan the item card. Um, and then if you want to move to a different spot, you scan it. I I don't know. I um. Then there's a whole thing where you have VR glasses, where you literally hold your phone up and, you know, look around and you you do that. And I'm like, it's neat. I'm looking around a crime scene. 
But like while you're doing that, you're just shouting out what you see to the other players and they're shuffling through an item deck as quick as they can, trying to pull out the ones you said. Like to me, like it's neat. It's very cool. It's well done. Maybe if it was modern, like the original Chronicles of Crime is a modern um, crime series. Maybe it wouldn't have bothered me as much, but something about playing a medieval period where you're like a psychic with a dog having to do all this just took me right out of it. And the, that is a thing, like the VR part was the only part that made it not ideal for playing with multiple people. Right. Because I, I don't want to be the one at the only one at the table because I want other insight and other brains at the table. But once you're looking around and trying to spot things through VR, like the only one of you can do that at a time. And with the kids, the kids are like, I'm going to do it. No, I don't yeah. know. No. I don't know. It, it, it was interesting. We really should go back to it. I should give it another shot. Um, Like some of the stuff is so fantastic. And like this is. What I liked in this game is you could ask the wrong question, which is something you don't get from the we just have piles of paper evidence to read. Like mm -hmm. you're you're interviewing people, but you're just reading things. I, this let you like we we did. We messed up one case because we asked someone in, in the story the wrong question and they got mad and that shut down a whole section of the game. And there was no way we were going to solve the case after that. So I, which was impressive but then it also had the which way book problem of well now we can't win do we replay do we restart from the beginning i don't see know. that I, didn't bother me that was just like yeah it's like the which way book just you just reset and do it and now i'm going to make different choices yeah but this is an hour and a half two hours in <laughs> and reset and redo it <laughs> you can't just hit back my next one is the groundhog gambit again like the exit games i didn't want to put the entire holiday hijinks series on here i want to call it the best of the best um now this one is from our sponsor grand gamers guild but honestly we had and played all these games before they were our sponsor so take that with a grain of salt these are fantastic 18 card escape room in a box games by jonathan schaefer who i am baffled by how he keeps coming up with new ways to use only 18 cards now i'm calling out the groundhog gambit because it was the smartest and neatest of the bunch at using only 18 cards. Um, the Groundhog Gambit, as we said in our review, check that out when you have time, is, of course, based on the movie and not as much the holiday. And the way the same 18 cards were used over and over again, giving you a different story each time was just fantastic. Yeah, no, it was brilliant. Um, overall, I, I really dig the holiday hijinks games and how they managed to fit like an entire escape room box uh escape room in a box style game into 18 cards and you yeah. get you know an hour of play out of this little little thing like this right and groundhog gambit definitely my favorite of the bunch and mm -hmm. again i liked it because it was longer it had a two hour play time versus the one hour for the rest of the games in the series that we tried and like the way the cards were were used and then reused and then reused it was brilliant yeah okay Normally, these lists aren't in any particular order, but I did save the best for last. <laughs> uh, the Ghost in the Machine from Mysterious Package Company is my favorite of the bunch. I, I is well, I haven't finished Doom Mentions yet. I, I may, <laughs> I may change my mind, but you know, it's unlikely because that's more escape room and this is more murder mystery. Uh, the storyline's great. It's just the writing's fantastic. It's a super engaging experience. And well, it isn't quite as over the top as that giant wooden box from Hunter Killer. It's got really cool table presence. Like when you first get it, you open the box and inside there's this like, it's plasticky when you touch it, but it looks like a leather file folder. And you open that and the whole game's in there and it's just, it's got all these neat physical bits and 
it's just it's immersive um i was really impressed with the way the game mechanics game mechanics worked which was a combination of like a which way book system with some sleuthing and puzzle solving and yeah it's just one of the most fun things i've done oh and super long super long we played it for like four four nights i think so we got a lot of enjoyment out of it all right we are going to be reviewing this one in detail later the ghost in the machine from mysterious patches company so i'm going to save my thoughts for our review now what i do want to do before we go and move on to the next section is call out two honorable mentions now the first one i'm going to call out because i don't know where else i would talk about these is Escape Welt's line of what they call escape room boxes. These are escape the room in your home or something is their marketing. Um, their English is not their first language. Their marketing is, is somewhat questionable at times. They're, they're, they're English. Um, but these are high-end wooden puzzle boxes featuring multi-step puzzles of various difficulty. They get them open. They look fantastic. And I've got to say, they make some of the coolest gift boxes you can ever give someone else. Now, while each box has a pretty ridiculous story attached to it, I would kind of throw that out the window and ignore the fact that you're supposedly getting the feel of exploring an ancient pyramid. No, no, it's just a wooden box you have to solve. These are honestly almost more desktop toys than games, which is why I did not put them on the main list. Yeah, they're beautiful, and I think they're neat, like particularly if you pop them open and put something inside and use it as a gift box. But if you think you're going to have a group of people sit around a table and work on one of these boxes together, that is not happening. No. Like, this is really more of a, a solo experience. I know with our first one, we did try that. We're like, we'll all work on it together. We're like, no, we'll just pass it around and get frustrated. Yes. I, I don't know about solo experience because I don't think any of us on our own has gotten a box open. It's, it's always mm-hmm. been... You fiddle with it for a bit, then someone else fiddles with it for a bit, and maybe finds out, figures out the next part, then someone else fiddles with it. But yeah, it's not something you can all do together. Finally, I have Fighting Fantasy Adventures from Martin Wallace based on the classic game books. Now, we've only played a prototype. This did fund on GameFound, but hasn't actually been published yet. So we can't really say go out and grab it or anything yet. And that, for one, put it off the main list. Now, this felt like playing a Witch Way book especially when we confirmed that you can die by going the wrong way. And yes, you're just supposed to start over like you would in a which way book when you die and play through a second time knowing where you went wrong. So I wanted to call this series out. Now, Deanna doesn't necessarily agree with me that these are count as puzzle games, but I don't know. It's got that which way feel. To me, it feels quite a bit like Ghost in the Machine and a few of the other games tonight, the Coded Chronicles. I think there's some overlap there, but I know she doesn't agree with me. It's, we, we argued about this earlier. It's a Witch Way book. It's a super fun Witch Way book. It totally captures the feel of the books it's based on, but it is not a mystery game or a puzzle game. I don't know. The, the puzzle was you had to go in and find three coins and then put them in the chest in the right order. How is that not a puzzle? No, no. Uh, it, the puzzle is not remembering which parts of the story I want to revisit when I go back and die. I don't know. I just <laughs> right. I don't see it. And plus, it has, like I said before, it has stats. It has rolling. There's random attributes. All of those things, to me, make it not a mystery game. All right. Fair enough. So there you have 13 mystery escape room style games, maybe 12, depending on who you ask, uh, that we recommend. Now it's time to a quick check-in with our lobby, our chat room here on Twitch, who it ends up aren't really into these games, but maybe we've convinced them to check some of them out. 
So out of our entire chat room tonight, the only game that got called out that has been enjoyed a lot of fun is Chronicles of Crime, the original version of the game. Eggman Jr. said they had a lot of fun with that game. So that's fantastic. And hopefully, maybe we've convinced you tonight to check out more Escape Room Mystery Style games. Do you have anything you want to add before we move on? No, um, that kind of convinced me to maybe go try the original Chronicles of Crime, which I have to say, until trying the 1400, I had zero interest yeah, in. Fair yeah. enough. All right. Now that we've heard from the chat, how about you listening at home or watching on YouTube? What murder, mystery, puzzle and escape room games would you recommend we try out? These can be the puzzle heavy type I like or the solve the crime style Deanna prefers. We'd love to hear about both. Let us know by commenting, sending an email off to mo at tabletopbellhop.com, or hitting me up on social media where I can be found everywhere as tabletopbellhop, one word. Or if you want to yell at me about something, you can find me at Deanna at tabletopbellhop.com. And now a word about our sponsor, Grand Gamers Guild. We've been a big fan of their games for quite a while now. Now, we originally discovered them through the abstract strategy game Gorinto, uh, which I actually had the pleasure of playing a early prototype copy and actually had some feedback back then that got it included in the game, which is pretty awesome. But we still love Gorinto and we still love Grand Gamers Guild's games. Like since then, we have played a number of their games. Um, the Holiday Sidejinks series we called out earlier today are by Grand Gamers Guild. And now, since we've got Deanna here, I thought it'd be worth getting her thoughts on their games. So what are your favorite games from Grand Gamers Guild? I mean, Garento, of course, but I think you've talked about that <laughs> one enough on the show. Um, I really dig Chisel. That mm -hmm. entire deck shedding versus deck building thing, I, I super enjoyed that game, and I always enjoy bringing it to the table and showing it to someone new and mm -hmm. their reaction to it. Um, so I found that one fascinating. And I think Aldabas, um, it's got a subtitle, The Doors of Cartagena. It doesn't get as much love as it deserves. That game is super fun, even though I don't care for the vaults. You have to jury rig something there. But yeah. aside from that, that game is so good. And I've really been digging the Artemis Project, yeah. and I can't wait to dive into the expansion for that one. All right. Now, if any of these sound great to you, you can pick them up direct from Grand Gamers Guild, grandgamersguild.com, all one word. <laughs> where you can find use our exclusive code BELLHOP, that's B-E-L-L-H-O-P, to save 10%. While there, be sure to subscribe to their newsletter, keep up with their latest news and releases, because I know they have some big things coming for 2024. Welcome to our review of Ghost in the Machine, an immersive murder mystery game from the Mysterious Package Company, a Canadian publisher who we have to thank for sending us a preview copy of this game. The Ghost in the Machine, originally called London Gothic, The Ghost in the Machine, which for some reason they dropped the London Gothic thing, um, was originally published in 2022 and got a second printing in 2023, and as of right now is currently between, between printings with a new version due out sometime this year. Now, this is a murder mystery set in Victorian-era London that is presented in a unique first-person perspective through the use of two novel-sized books and a variety of cool props. Now, The Ghost in the Machine is listed as playing 1-6 to six players, ages 12+, plus, with a duration of over 8 hours. Now, it's my wife and bellhop partner here who was the one that played through the game, along with our youngest daughter and her mother. And I know you have some concerns about these numbers. Uh, well, we actually started playing this game together as a family with my mom and Mo and myself and our two kids who are ages 13 and 16. 
And I will get into this more in a wee bit, but the game has a lot of read out loud components. So we're here taking turns reading and some of the content was just way too descriptive and too gruesome for our kids. So we ended up having to stop the night and put the game aside and we didn't even pick it back up for a few months. So your mileage may vary on what you consider gruesome. So let me define it. And I'm aware that what upsets my kids may be no big deal for someone else, right? But um, this is all right from starter info, so this doesn't spoil anything. The murder mystery you're solving in this game involves two fellows who fell or perhaps were pushed into a giant piece of machinery in a cotton mill circa 1896. And there are some, you know, semi-detailed descriptions of folks being mangled by machinery. In particular, there is a very vividly described trip to the coroner's office, and that was the part where we ended up stopping during our first play. My kids were like, no, I'm done. And uh, there is a, right at the end of that passage in the book, there's a line drawing, it's not graphic at all, of a severed limb. It's just a black and white line drawing of a severed limb sitting in a coroner's tray. And other than that piece of line art, there's really nothing visually graphic at all. It's just words, lots of descriptive words. Mm -hmm. So a while later, we went back to the game and I took on the role of reading the text, and and then I was just skipping over anything that was too graphic or violent. And despite the fact that I promised to skip over anything gross, our eldest kid sat it out. She wanted nothing at all to do with this game. And the 13-year-old very much wanted to know what was going to happen next. So we started playing again. We're playing, and it, it's a really long game that we ended up breaking into three or four sessions. And partway along, she said some of the themes are a bit much, and I would actually have preferred not to have played this. But I don't want to quit now, because I need to know what's going to happen in the story. (laughs) So the themes that she found upsetting were, okay, this is a historic piece. It's set in London of 1896, right? So we're talking about child labor. There's some very young children who are not necessarily being cared for in a very nice manner. And um, they described the corpse of a child at one point in the story. Um, There's also rat baiting. Which, if you're not familiar with that term, it's basically a form of gambling where they toss a dog in a pit with some hungry rats and they take bets on the outcome. And some of the descriptions for the rat baiting were pretty graphic. Um, So, yeah, my 13-year-old did not like that. So, overall, would I call the game appropriate for ages 12 and up? It depends on the child, but I think maybe a slightly higher number would have been more appropriate. Yeah, some of the descriptions in this were were over the top, and you're looking at violence against children and violence against animals, which is instantly going to turn some people off. So fair warning on this one. No, we're not going to get into that detail or any of that in this review whatsoever. Now, I will say we didn't see this coming in, but we did have a prototype copy of this shipped to us. Checking out Mysterious Package Company's website, they have gotten way more detailed about what to expect. There are actual paragraphs on their website talking about who this is appropriate for, and which talks about things like child labor and does give you a better heads up on who this game is for. Here, we thought we were getting a family-friendly murder mystery game, and it wasn't nearly as family-friendly as we thought. Now, the way Ghost in the Machine is designed, what it is, is a package that shows up that kind of looks like it was sent to you um, by people in the game, right? Like, it's a, the, the experience starts right with the, the shipping package. And then what's inside just carries on this theme. And it's super cool and impressive. Now, you can get a spoiler-free look at this through our Ghost in the Machines unboxing video on YouTube. And I got to say, it's just fantastic. You can see my reaction as I open up the stuff. Now, what do you think 
of like the impact this had when you first opened it up? Oh, it was so much fun to open. And it just immediately got everyone's attention at the table. We were all drawn into it. It, it comes in a, a plain brown cardboard box, which is, I think it's got like a couple stamps on it. Like you said, it's it's marked confidential. And when you flip it open, there's this neat, like it's it's plasticky when you touch it, but it looks like leather. It's a file folder. And when you open that up and you have to like undo the threads and open it up and inside there is the game. There's bunches of all these little brown paper bags that are stamped and labeled as your evidence pa- packages. And there's a newspaper clipping. And there's a, a little pamphlet book that's your London directory. And then there's two penny novels. And just the whole thing is just super fun to open and check out. And it's very evocative of the time period. So you're immediately, you know, called into the game. Okay. So what is the setting here? We kind of we kind of mentioned it a bit already. But what what is what is this game going to be about? So it's set in the London in London in the 1890s. And as I mentioned earlier, there's a murder in a cotton mill. And you're taking on the role of a private detective who's taking on the case as a favor for a friend. Now, the way you actually play through this game um, is to the, open up the case, right? Dump everything out. Then you're going to find some instructions to tell you how to play, right? That's how you get started. Now, the one thing the instructions are going to call you out to do, and I strongly recommend you do this, is make sure you have everything. It gives you a checklist. Um, not that we had any problems. Our copy of Ghost of the Machine was perfectly fine, but we've had experience with other murder mystery games that were missing components. Yes, as I know from other games, when we've run into this issue, um, getting a couple of hours in and realizing something is missing is no fun. So check off the list. Now, the two key items in this case at the start of the game are the two novel-sized books. Like, I can't stress that these are thick. These are their little pocket books, right? Um, The game is split over two parts, with each part using a different book. You start the game by finding book one and reading it like a novel. Eventually, you'll be presented with different choices. We'll send you to different sections of the book. Which way style? So there's a couple of things going on with the books. You've got this thin booklet that is the Business and Residential London Directory for 1896. And if you want to follow a lead, you might look someone up by their name in that directory. And then next to that name, there'll be a three-digit code. And then you've got those two thick novels Mo was describing, which are they're which way books. There's part one and two. So that three-digit code will represent a numbered section in the book. And then to visit that person, you go there and read that section of the book. And you can think of it as if each numbered section of the book represents a location that you're visiting. And then once you're at a location, you might end that reading that section of the book with a which way like decision. Or, you know, it might say, okay, if you want to do this, then go to page blah, blah, blah. And if you want to do something else, go to this page. Or you might just read the section and it ends there. Or it might give you a hint for something to look for in the directory or a hint towards one of the puzzles you're trying to solve. And then you're back to thinking of leads to look up and places and people to visit. So you're not just following which way branching paths through the book. There's a lot of intuitive puzzle solving and and sleuthing going on to figure out which parts of the books to read. Yeah, because you're basically exploring the game through the book. And at the beginning, you've got the directory and, well, the book itself telling you go here or go here. It does start off very linear. The very beginning of the game I played through was just started like a which way book, but then it quickly opened up because you start to unlock other ways to use these books. Um, like there's the directory on later, you're going to unlock a map of London or a warehouse set of warehouse blueprints. Well, you have to visit a spot on the map. You look up the entry in the book. All of this really leads to a, a fascinating and well done 
open world feel where you feel like you can explore things at the pace you want and in the order you want. Yeah, it ends up being really intuitive and it feels like you're really just exploring an open world and figuring out things on your own instead of being led down a linear pathway. Yeah, and in a brilliant bit of design, some of the passages may direct you to different places based on what you've done. So, for example, I clearly remember early in the game, you went to visit a specific woman and it said, do you have your hat? And if you do, go to this section. Otherwise, keep reading. Yeah, the book will say something vague like, if a child sent you here, go to this other number. Otherwise, come on in, which will allow you to visit the same locations at different points in the storyline. And the vague statements will make sense when the time comes, but they won't spoil the story at all prematurely. Yep. Now, as you go, you're going to be instructed to open various sealed envelopes, which will unlock more clues, more evidence, and one of the coolest bit, little tchotchkes, right? Like little artifacts, neat things you get to kind of hold on to. Now, I don't, don't go thinking this is just a game about reading. Like, you are going to have to take notes. You're going to have to pay attention to what's in those passages. You're going to have to use the various things in the envelopes and the various pieces of evidence to solve puzzles. And you're going to have to use deduction to figure out where to go next. And I got to say, the game does some really clever things with numbers, making it so that it's just much more than just reading through a which way book. Yeah, it is so much more than just a which way story. There are puzzles and riddles to solve, and there's tons of sleuthing to be done. You have to take detailed notes, like very detailed notes and pay attention. And of all the various mystery games I've played, this is the one that had me digging back through our notes the most often. Now, one big advantage of this book-driven system is that you can basically stop and save your game or stop at any point. Like, stopping and starting is really just finish reading a passage, uh, throw a bookmark in the book, or write down where you stopped and put everything back in the case. Though, again, we're going to stress the fact, keep good notes, because when you come back, you want to make sure you can remember where you were and where you were headed to. Yeah, saving the game is super easy, and I really appreciated that. Um, We ended up breaking it into several sessions. It is designed when you read the instructions of the game that says, please play this in at least two sittings. It's got a very logical break point between book one and book two. But I have to give you a warning that you don't want to go too long between playing because there are a lot of small details and clues and you just meet tons of different characters. There's lots of stuff to remember and you need to keep things fresh in your mind. We picked it back up at one point after not playing for a couple of weeks and we were both just my mom and I which were we were somewhat, you know, running things a bit more than my my kid was. Um, we were just both spinning our wheels trying yep. to figure out where we had left off. Now, finally, as far as like how the game plays, I do want to call out something that I think is very important. And it was one of the things I most wanted to know about going into this. You can make bad choices and wrong decisions while playing Ghost in the Machine. You can lose this game. The choices you make do matter. It's not just following the path. Yeah, you can reach a dead end, quite literally. Uh, And the game instructs you to just back it up, rethink your choices, make a different choice, and keep going. And so it kind of comes with its own put your thumb on the last page, just in case things go wrong. Now, another thing that's featured here, like any good mystery game, is a full graduated hint system. But you won't find this in the box, which I found that a little disappointing, having seen the same company do something similar in other products. Um, The only way you can find this is online. It's part of the Mysterious Package Company website. Um, there's nothing in the product to help you out. Now, as someone outside the system, I was the one, I wasn't playing all the games. I didn't take part in every, every session. I even missed the end of it. But as someone who was outside, I went through this hint system to kind of help, um, help them out while they were playing. 
And it was really good at just giving you a little bit of information at a time. It does a really good job of not spoiling things until you want it to. And it even explains the final solutions when you get there. So it's like, this is how you should have got to this point. Now, from what I remember, the only time your group actually needed it was that time when you took an extended two or three weeks off and you needed to be reminded of something you already knew. It was someone you had talked to who presented a piece of evidence you couldn't remember who it was. So thankfully, with me not being in intimately involved with it, I was able to check that out on the clue system and just go, OK, the person's name was this. Yeah, I was certain we were going to remember things that ended up forgotten and more more notes should have been made. Um, yes. If, if I remember correctly, there was something else we got stuck up on, but it was in the errata and we did have a prototype copy yeah. for this. So that is something else you will find on the Mysterious Package Company webpage. There is an errata for this game that's up there and they have pointed out that they are fixing all these problems as they find them in the later printings. So at this point, if you get the newest printing of the game, which should be coming this year, you shouldn't have to worry about this, but it is worth checking that errata. Overall, from my point of view, from the outside, as, as someone who plays a lot of board games and, and who's still fairly new to murder mystery style games and escape room games, I thought Ghost in the Machine was brilliantly designed. I loved the different ways the game had you putting numbers together to get you to different places the way things progressed in the game and that whole system for like, do you have your hat? Do you have your coat? Like to, so it knew you were here later. And that's actually a big part that the second book did because you have some of the same numbers in there, but now that you're in the second half, it knows that time has progressed and what's changed in the world. It did a fantastic job of feeling realistic. It felt like time was passing. And I just thought it was really neatly done. The various ways they had you get to sections in the book. Yeah, it was really clever. And even just looking folk, folks up in the directory, it was not always as straightforward as that could sound because you have to figure out someone's full name. You, you have to figure out the name of the location. Yeah, you know, we went to a pub, but like which pub? What part of the city are we in? You know, all, yep. all of this stuff. It was it ended up it was super fun. I remember there being similar names as well as multiple family names that were same and you didn't know which one to go to. And if you went to the wrong one, that could lead to bad things. Yeah, I, I for the bits that I heard of the story, it sounded fantastic. I, it was engaging. Um, the language used might take a bit to get used to. Um, it definitely is going for an 18, what is it, 1830s, whatever it is, late 1800s vibe. Um, the overall description of everything. Um, the writer of this is very descriptive. Um, to me, it felt like the Lord of the Rings of the <laughs> mystery novels with the, the amount of different ways dust particles were described. Um, the griminess of everything. And the on-the-nose political issues of the time. Um, I, again, I don't want to spoil anything, but some of the things that were happening in the game were very appropriate for the time period, very immersive. And honestly, I would go so far as to say educational. Yeah, overall, the writing was top-notch. It's part of what set this game apart from all the other various mystery games we've played for me. It's just phenomenal writing, believable motivations, solid and consistent characterizations, and tons of vivid characters yes. described in the game and yeah playing the game led to some interesting conversations with our one kid about the history of the child labor laws which actually ended up being like some really interesting teachable conversations that i really enjoyed so as for things to watch out for um the biggest one of course is the one we already called out which is the tone of the game the the graphic descriptions the horrific things that happen in the games uh the way some of the characters are treated uh, this game does not pull punches. The, the story is, is not nice. This is not the, 
not a, a, a feel good story. We'll put it that way. Another thing to watch for, uh, we already called this out is watch for errors. Um, our copy of the game did have a few. Check the errata, go online, make sure you know what needs to be fixed. Um, we had an entire paragraph that just cut off. If I remember correctly, that didn't lead to any, like there was no misclue. If I remember, there was nothing wrong with our copy that would break anything. The game was playable, but there were some like cutoff sentences that just didn't quite make sense. Um, I, I, you played through it, not me. Is there, was there anything that literally was like game breaking? I don't think there was. No, they used the wrong, like they used an inconsistent first name for one character. Like they'd okay, obviously decide to change, but it was just in the newspaper. They had one first name and everywhere else in the story, they had a different first name. Okay. And I think it, I said, we had the prototype copies, so I'll cut them some slack there. I'm going to assume yep. that was fixed. Fair enough. Um, we've called this out already too, but time between sessions and forgetting things, uh, take lots of notes. That's, that's the best I can say is, is take lots and lots of notes. Even though you think you're going to remember it, you might not. Uh, another thing, sorry, another thing I would call out, um, just cause the chat room mentioned this. So we are recording this on Twitch. Uh, Eggman Jr. in the chat room called out the price of these games for one and done games. They are a bit pricey and I, and I can't disagree with that. Um, this is a high quality product though. Like, uh, you get a lot of cool things. The, the component quality, what's in the package. Honestly, it's, it's hard to say, but I would say it's worth it, but that's going to depend on your personal budget and for board gaming. It's the hours too. Like this is not yeah, a 10 hour. minute and solve it. They suggest eight to 10 hours for this game. So that makes it more worthwhile. Yeah. If you look at the, look at the cost of exit games to play an hour each, you would need 10 of them to get to the same amount of gameplay. So that is a good consideration. Now, a question I have for you, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. Nothing was destroyed while we played this, correct? No, nothing was destroyed. The evidence bags were all opened. Yep. But if you wanted to just reseal them in some paper bags and label them, you know, A, B, C, D, you'd be, that's it. The only thing is that we tore open the evidence bags. And, like, we didn't tear them. We just carefully, we tore the stickers to get well, them open. Well, yes, we, we, they are no longer sealed. Yeah, so to this, this one is replayable. Again, not replayable by the same group, because you'll know the answer. You'll know, excuse me, you'll know who done it. Um, but yeah, these, these are replayable. I now, the the directory they give you, they suggest that that's also your notebook. And there's like at the back of the directory, it lists some contacts, which you do use as leads. And then there's some blank pages there for you to write on. But we didn't actually write in it. Yeah, we so didn't. I guess if you wrote in it. Yeah, fair. Uh, one thing I do want to call out um, is there is a lot of reading in this. A lot. It is you are reading through two novels. Uh, to get to the end of this. And because of that, to me, it felt more like a single player experience. Now, again, I wasn't the one playing. I was kind of sitting on the sidelines. I'd watch them play for a while. Or, you know, I was off in a corner playing a solo game. Or at one point, I played some Taiko Drum Master. But um, this seemed like it would... I, the way I see someone best enjoying this game is sitting in their your you know your big room with your bookshelves all around you and your big high back chair and your fireplace and it's sitting next to you next to the fire and you sit down when you've got an hour with your smoking jacket on and you read a few packets pa paragraphs and you grab your map and look up the next place and you play it for like half an hour or when you run out of time and then you put it away and you come back to it like you would an actual mystery novel now mysterious Patrick's company says this is a game for one to six players you played at three I cannot see how six players could keep engaged to this unless they really like story time. Um, okay. I get what you're saying about this being a good game to play solo, but I enjoyed playing it with three people. And I think two to three is probably the sweet spot. Okay. 
I like the shared experience. Like, I like that I had this shared experience with my mom and our Fair. kid. You know, that was okay. And I like having multiple brains at the table for different points of view. And it's nice to have someone else taking the notes while you're re- doing all the reading aloud. True. Okay. But it was a lot of reading out loud. And I mean, a lot. I remember we went sort of long on the one session. And by the end, I was starting to lose my voice from reading out loud so much. See, the other thing that also makes me think of it as a solo experience, though, is the writing, because this is written in first-person perspective, not third. It's written as if you are the detective. It's all happening to you, which kind of breaks the immersion when there's three of you being you. Yeah. All right. I get it. I'll give you that one. I still think it was more fun with multiple people. Fair. Overall, we think anyone that enjoys a good mystery is going to enjoy this game. People who like to sift through evidence, check the facts corroborate stories, dates, and times, you know, detail-oriented gamers who also enjoy some puzzles, I think you're going to love The Ghost in the Machine. This game feels like playing through an interactive detective novel, but completely analog. It does, but this is definitely not just a which way book. Yeah. There's more to it than that. Some of the puzzles are really clever, and you have to work hard to put together all the various bits of information you're provided to solve the mystery. Sometimes even just keep the story going. Now, I already admitted this isn't really my style of game, which is why I let Deanna, her mom, and Jen go to it after our first night playing. While I enjoy puzzle games, I don't mind some social deduction games. I'm just not a sift-through-all-the-evidence-solve-the-crime style of game fan. Right, so this was not the game for you. If you want to solve puzzles or you want more of an escape room game, this is not the game. If you want a big multiplayer game that's going to be great for six or more people, no, not this one. If you don't like storyline and you just want to skip ahead to the next puzzle, you are playing the wrong game. (laughs) If you are squeamish about mildly descriptive gore, then you probably want to skip this one. And if you do not like reading text, a ton of text, this is not the game for you. Uh, same for on the opposite side, listening, if you are not for listening to tons of text. I like, I, I don't think there's something I, I just thought of. I don't think you would have enjoyed this game at all if you weren't the one reading. It, when we were swapping off, it was okay. But to keep engaged, I, I can't sit there and listen to story time for too long. I'll fall asleep. Yeah, <laughs> totally fair. So yeah, if you dig the mysteries, check this game out. Um, do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up this review? Okay, possible mild spoilers, so if you don't want details about any of the contents of the evidence bags, stick your fingers in your ears for this part. Uh, I don't think it's a huge spoiler to say that at some point in the game, you will need a key to unlock a door, and they give you a physical metal key, and it was totally unnecessary, just a prop, a nice detail that added to the excitement, and it gave my kids something neat to keep after the game was done. She ended up turning it into a necklace, so I thought that was kind of cool. Overall, I love this game so much. It was a super enjoyable experience. It left me wanting to rush over to their website and go order something else in the postmortem series. Yeah, which is fair. I, I, this this really impressed me compared to other escape room mystery style games. This was definitely a step above. So there you have our look at The Ghost in the Machine, a first-person perspective murder mystery set in Victorian London from the Mysterious Package Company a game my mystery-loving wife thinks is the best there is on the market right now. What's a game in this genre you've tried and have greatly enjoyed? We'd love to hear about it in the comments. Through an email to mo at tabletopbellhop.com or through social media where I can be found everywhere as tabletopbellhop, one word. Don't worry, I'll pass your thoughts on to Deanna. 
Or you know what? You can actually talk to her directly through the Tabletop Bellhop Discord. While she may not be active on social media, I know she checks our Discord every day. You can find that at discord.tabletopbellhop.com. And now we come to the Bellhop's Tabletop, where we talk about the games that have been hitting our tables lately. Now we're going to start things off with a barbershop bar game night we co-hosted on the weekend. Uh, Event had pretty good turnout. Wasn't our busiest, but not our slowest for sure. And it was awesome to see some people out we haven't seen in a while. That is always awesome. Plus, new people. There was a significant number of people who had come out to one of our events for the first time. And I've got to thank the Barbershop Bar for sharing it in their own personal Facebook group. That seemed to be where these people came from. So thank you for that additional promotion. I got to say, everyone, as far as I could tell, seemed pretty happy by the end of the night. And I think it went well. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was a good turnout. It was fun. I was glad I went. I met some new folk. I got back to the table. Some people I've met at past events and I just had a good time. Um, I had fun teaching Gwen to play Zensu, which technically I could have done at home. Um, She had the same problem that I had the first time that the game was shown to me, is that it takes a bit to click in, right? She kept going, oh, and getting really frustrated with herself. That it won't click in that you can jump and you can land on pieces Mm -hmm. to capture. And then, you know, each piece can move four directions in varying numbers, and it's a lot to keep uh, track of all at once. So she was getting a bit frustrated with it. And she wants to play it again. She was <laughs> she was frustrated. Yeah, I guess I feel the same way playing that game. I, I get mad at myself. I'm I'm not mad at my opponent for outplaying me. I'm mad at myself for making a silly mistake. And that that that's where that game is it's frustrated. But like her, every time we finish, I'm like, let's go again. Let's go again. I'm gonna figure this out. I want to play a game without making a mistake. Though as Sean pointed out, maybe that's how every game of Sensu ends is you make a mistake. Uh, personally, I started the night getting a group of five people together to play the stuff of legend. Um, this is the hidden trader game with the stuffies who go into the closet to try to save their boy from the boogeyman, which Sean and I talked about last week. Um, the second play of this game went way better than the first, um, as often happens. I now knew the game. I better knew what to expect. I could better explain to the players what to expect, which is very important in this game. I could better explain the trader role and how the odds of finding a trader were more clear to me. Um, it was a very tight game. I will say one thing that was neat that was different with five players is you had the colonel's heir, but you didn't have spots friend or whatever. So there was only one guaranteed loyal player at the start of the game. So that was a little t- little uh, change. Game played really well. Um, people loved the evocative artwork. They were totally into the theme. They all wanted more story, which is something I think we all said. Like the locations, like you just you want a description of the location, not just reveal this card and discard it. Reveal this card and put one troop on the spot and discard it. Tell me something about that spot. Uh, the gameplay itself was very tight. Um, this game ended with the group making it to an exit and leaving. So that's better than we did the first game, but sadly it was not the right one. Um, similar to the first game we played, due to a number of bad coin flips, the boy was going to be potentially lost on the next flip. So the group agreed to just beeline it for the closest portal. No one had peeked at anything and hope for the best. Um, in the end, it was the boogeyman who won along with myself and Cindy. I mean, the boogeyman won during our first play, too. Maybe that's a thing. Maybe it's just tilted toward the good guys losing. I don't know. We'll have to play some more games, test it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little shocked because usually hidden trader games are, are lean towards the good guys. <laughs> and it's the trader who has to figure out the role to get it to go the other way. So but one of the things. Of, um, Shadows over Camelot. Yep. Like that game was just hard. Right. Yes. Like he would, so Without he a traitor. Tilted that way. Yeah. 
It's possible. Yeah. One thing I need to figure out, though, is to um, what to do about the loyalty for the game teacher, right? Because by being the person teaching a game, you are in a position of power and trust when sitting down to a board game. And by me being a trader, I just basically didn't play trader. I, I, I'm like, because I am actively helping the people to play, but because they don't know the game, not because of anything in game or my role. I'm just helping, like, you realize you can play this type of card now. You realize you can do this. And it would have been really easy for me to just be terrible and, and BS people, but I wasn't going to do that. So, like, I don't know. I, like, I almost want to take out that, the, the air of the kernel card, the, the one loyalty card where you know that player is loyal and they're, they're also the person that breaks votes and make that player be me. Or if someone else was teaching game, let it be them because it just, it was awkward playing the stuff a legend as a trader when I'm also the one teaching the game to everyone. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, um, your alignment can change during the game. Yep. So I don't think it'd be to a detriment to have you just always start as the one who's teaching it. Right. As that set. Right. Because then once we switch cards with someone, it's all up in the air. But by the right. time that happens, you probably played the game enough that everyone gets it by then. Now, do you have any thoughts on the besides uh, from our first play? Because you weren't here last week to share your thoughts. So, yeah, um. I actually really enjoyed her first play, okay. and then I, I was dissecting it later, and I thought maybe it was just because it was still novel, and mm -hmm. it was a real sense of discovery as we were, you know, exploring the game, flipping up new cards and stuff. Of what was it was a curiosity for what was going to happen next, yeah. and I really liked the aesthetic, I liked the theme, and it made me curious to check out the comic yep. books. <laughs> um, and I was amused because it was the first time that I. Uh, played a game with uh, I we might have with the older kid, but I, I think this is the first time with the younger kid where we played a hidden trader game and I betrayed them. And days <laughs> later, our youngest was randomly coming up to me and being like, "You, you betrayed me, mom, the betrayer." And it just it made me laugh, you know. And that was her being silly. That wasn't her yes, being was. scarred. That just that's her sense of humor. It. it was just yeah, <laughs> we were having a good chuckle over it, so that amused me. Um. While you were off playing Stuff of Legend, I was having fun learning a new game. So Eggman Jr. had brought out his copy of Brian Boru. So first off, I really love it when I don't have to teach. And <laughs> I love sitting down and learning a new game. Wait, wait. So, uh, Did someone clip that right now? <laughs> Deanna just said, I love sitting down and learning a new game. I do. I do. Actually, I love learning new games. I just hate not getting old games ever back to the table. It's All two right. different things. Fair. So uh, Brian Boru is an interesting mix of card drafting and trick taking and area, area majority. So you win tricks and that lets you claim cities. But even when you lose a trick, you get to claim a reward based on the card that you played. Okay. And honestly, deciding what to throw away when was more fun than trying to win the tricks. Neat. It was It was a neat game. I'd love to give it a second go sometime. Yeah, I want to try that one. I, you know how much we love trick-taking games. And, well, now you're throwing all these things. The only thing I was shocked by is that it's a long trick-taking game. I, I expect short from trick-taking. There was a learn. It, it, like, it was a learning game. There was a teach at the beginning. And I you do know, know you had some brand-new players. You know, so uh, Next up for me, I kept the same group. We, we talked about splitting up, but everyone seemed to be doing their own thing at the time. And we just had a good experience playing um, a cooperative game together, right? So, well, semi-cooperative game. So like the group was already kind of gelling. So honestly, to, to be fair, Stuff of Legend was a good icebreaker game in a way because I had did have people at the table. I had played with everyone at the table independently, but it was the first time some of them had played with each other. 
Um, what I broke out then was Endangered. Uh, this is from our sponsor, Grand Gamers Guild. The game about saving a species, and in this case, we played the Tigers. And holy cow, I think that was one of the best game experiences I've had at the Barbershop Bar. Like the group I was with were just into it. They were really digging it. Um, people were asking, where do I get this game? They, they, it was one of the few, like everyone was like, yeah, thanks for getting, no, people were like, oh, Mo, thank you for teaching me that game at the end. Like, oh, that, thank you for teaching that. Thank you for inviting us to your table. And I'm like, yes, I get thanks at the end, but like this was emphatic, enthusiastic, um, enjoyment of Endangered. Now I've enjoyed the game and the kids enjoyed the game and your mom enjoyed the game. Um, but like even our whole family playing together didn't have the excitement, the tension, the leaning in, the, We've got to get these votes. We got to get. Oh, what's this? Why don't you do that? And honestly, despite the game um, being really easy to quarterback, there wasn't that though. This felt more like collaboration, which was really cool to see. And I got to say, this was the closest game we ever had where we won. Um, we did lose the first voting round, and it was lost by a die roll. Like it was just a matter of if we had rolled a four or higher, we would have won the first round. The second voting round, we only secured four votes, even though we had five countries with influence, and only got that last vote on the player's turn. Now, at this point, though, we'd left nothing to random chance. We knew we had it. It was just a matter of figuring out, deducing, solving the puzzle of how to have enough influence clubs in the right spot, and to make sure we were safe no matter what cards came up, um, where the devastation happened, or what the, I forget what the flip up a card bad thing happens. Um, do you have anything you wanted to say about Endangered, since... We haven't heard your thoughts yet. That's awesome that everyone had such a good time playing that one. Um, it has the cutest darn meeples <laughs> ever. Uh, like, we have that mini expansion that's sitting there waiting to be played, yeah. and it has monarch butterfly meeples. They're just so damn cute. Um, and otters. Otter meeple. Mm -hmm. I was amused because we played it with Sean, and I'm like, look, we have otters. Uh, I like the theming. I like the whole dice placement yeah. mechanic. Uh, the way you need to place a higher die and the way your spots remain locked, used up until your next go, so that picking out who will go when ends up being a big part of yeah. the strategy. Um, yeah. All right. Next one for me is I taught a quick game of the chameleon. Um, I had just picked it up the day before um, for the um, family day weekend. We asked the kids, what do you guys want to do? And they're like, play board games and we want to go thrifting. So we actually kind of drove around the city, hit a bunch of thrift stores, and I managed to find a complete copy of the chameleon for 275 or something ridiculous like that um and took a risk on it I, I i pushed my luck because this was found at a goodwill and unlike value village who just kind of puts tape over or sorry elastics on their games they put tape packing tape so much packing tape they obviously did not want you to check to see if this game was complete now i don't know and what i'd hope is they did this already in the back room and they've checked to see if it's complete and then taped it up um, but it, it, it was, it was so much tape, but I got it home, brought it home, opened it up and like, not only complete, but like in excellent shape, like, you know how some card games instead of shrink wrap have that little paper sleeve to hold the cards. Someone had put them back in the sleeves. I don't even do that. I take good care of my games and I don't keep the cards in their little sleeves. So it was, it, that was pretty nice. Yeah. When you first opened it, you were trying to figure out it, if it had even been played. Yes. Uh, overall it was pretty cool for a thrift store find. You lucked out there. Yeah, it was a nice one. Now, for those that don't know The Chameleon, it's a social deduction game, which sounded great in theory, but the first actual play was rougher than I expected. So what the game is, the, the, the real basics are 
the everyone knows a word. And everyone in the group, everyone playing knows the word except one player. That one player is the chameleon. The goal of the people who know the word is to find the chameleon. The goal of the chameleon is to stay hidden, blend in with everyone else so they don't get found out. Now, the words are grouped on a grid, so they're kind of together. So, like, we actually had fantasy series as one of them, which was kind of cool. We had another one was um, a geography, and it was various types of landscapes and so on. So you get these different kind of things. So you ha- kind of have an idea what you're talking about. And the whole thing is it goes around the group and you go, you're only allowed to say one thing. So think code names. It really reminded me of giving clues and code names where you say one word and that goes to the next player. And they say a word, they say a word, they say a word, they say a word, then everyone votes. Um, that had a steeper than I expected learning curve. Like when I read it, I'm like, that sounds fantastic. That sounds great. It sounds like a great game. And then we sat down to play it and it is so hard as the players who know the word to not just spoil it, right? So in, in our in our first game, Cavs like hobbits. I'm like, you don't even have to know what the words are to know what that probable word clue is. Like, you don't even need the category, right? Well, the fun part when he said that, though, was that the chameleon then just played wrong, along, and we ended up ga- like g- guessing the wrong person because everyone said something that applied to Lord of the Rings. So I don't know. It's fascinating, but... There's a learning curve there that I wasn't expecting. I, I have a feeling this is going to take more plays or I'm going to have to play it more so I can teach it with a bit of a lead in. The biggest problem, though, is the loyalty card problem, which is the person that is not the chameleon is given this giant grid that they have to look up 2D6 on to find and then compare it to something that's on the table. Whereas the chameleon gets a card that says you are the chameleon. And I hate that because if anyone's paying attention... They're going to know who the chameleon is. So I get into this in a lot more detail over on our Patreon. So what I did um, Tuesday, I actually posted up a full First Thoughts article where I go into a lot more detail about this game, why I picked it up, what had me convinced it was going to be great, and why it didn't quite go as well as I thought. So head over to patreon.com slash tabletopbellhop to learn even more of my first impressions of the chameleon. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Like, it's a social deduction game, which normally, no. Yeah. Not for me, but I'm I'm kind of curious to try this one out. Now, one of the things you'll like is is the only deception is if you're the chameleon. And at that final round, when players are like, you, you must be the chameleon. And you're like, no, not me. I'm not like up until that point. You're just trying to fit in. You're you're giving honest answers. So I did appreciate that aspect of it. That looking it up on the grids reminded me of Psycho Babble. I remember yes. playing Psycho Babble mm-hmm. and trying to pretend I'm looking at the yes. part of the board. Exactly. Exactly. It's the same thing. Well, while you were doing that, I was teaching a game of uh, Star Trek Super Skill Pinball. And a few things stood out for me here. I actually didn't mind teaching it. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a pinball game. Your ball falls down the table. That just makes sense. It, it felt easy to explain because of that. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but I was explaining it to gamers, like so that helped too. Yeah. Um, again, one of the folks at the table wasn't a Star Trek fan, and in his words, had only ever seen maybe five episodes. Fair, but the game still worked, and it was yep. still enjoyable for everyone. Um, yeah, I I just really dig that game. It was fun, and um, we haven't tried some of the boards in that yet, and I'm excited to get to them eventually. Yeah, we have two more boards we haven't even touched yet. We've got the uh, lower decks. And then the uh, next generation Borg table. So, yeah, looking forward to checking out more of that game. And I got to say, at this point, I've added uh, Super Skill Pinball 4K to my wish list. Though I was looking at the new one. There's a new expansion, like the the Ramp ramp It Up, I think it's called. 
Those boards look a little silly, but like I, I now have the original. I now now that I played the Star Trek, I want to check out the original. It's now on my wish list. Uh, next up, Sunday night gaming at these mums. Something we try to do every weekend, uh, where we uh, it almost literally cracked open dimensions. Man, did that make a lot of noise. Uh, this is from Mysterious Package Company, the same company that makes Ghost of the Machine, which we reviewed earlier. And I got to say, despite being from the same company, this is a very different game than what we talked about at length earlier. Yeah, it's a totally different flavor. Ghost in the Machine is a is a murder mystery, and this is very much an escape room. Solve the puzzles with a nice story bits to glue it all together. Now, anyone who's looked into this game has probably seen the pics of the dollhouse. You might remember the Kickstarter, which did ridiculously well. Um, what blew me away, everyone's talking about the dollhouse. But a big part of this game that I've never seen until we unboxed it ourselves is the journal. So what you have and where the actual puzzles are and where the clues are is in this scrapbook. It is a scrapbook left by five previous investigators who came before you and failed. And that is as much a part of the game as the big fold-out mansion. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by the fact, like, it's not, the dollhouse is cool enough on its own, but that scrapbook, just that, if you put that in a box and called it the game, would have been a pretty cool game all on its own, and, and a unique thing with lots yeah. of interesting, I don't want to, I'm always, with these, I don't want to spoil anything, Yeah. like, I'm flipping through, and there's some really unique stuff in that book. Yeah, this one, though, is more of a puzzle side of things. Um, like, there is a mystery. You are, you are trying to figure something out, and there are clues leading towards it. You're trying to figure out what's going on in the house, and you are trying to find out what happened to the previous investigators. But all of that is just leading you to solve very escape room-like puzzles. Now, the neat part is because you have this physical thing in front of you, it feels like an escape room. Like, like you're literally manipulating things in rooms and holding things up to other things to compare them counting things around the room like it just did such a great job like th th i don't even know how if this is an escape room in a box because it gives you the whole dang room in the box it's an escape the dollhouse yes and it's not just like it pops up furniture and there's a toilet there's cupboards <laughs> it was i don't know and yes the toilet seat lifts yeah it's just it was neat um they did a really cool thing with a uh i think they called it a recharge pack Trying to remember what the actual I thought it was regifting pack. Regifting pack. But there's a big envelope in the box. And oh, yeah. And then also in the bottom of the box, there's oh, like yeah. a safe that's locked that's like in the bottom of the box, too. So again, that's something else that was neat. But there's this regifting pack. And so it lets you reset the game when you're done playing it so someone else can use it, which is cool. But what I liked was it had the little instructions there explaining. That as you're playing the game, there'll be a little skull sign. And whenever you see that skull sign, you know you're free to tear it up, destroy it, manipulate mm -hmm. it, write on it, whatever. Because you're going to have this recharge version to replace so you can still yep. give the game to someone else. Which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I, I'm enjoying this one. This one's neat. There was just some some neat stuff that you couldn't get any other way. Like Like to solve one of the puzzles, you had to retrace someone's steps through the host. And I, I can't see doing that with an exit game or uh, a, a which way book, right? Like it, it, it had puzzles. I don't think you could easily do in any other form, which I thought was like neat. technically you could be looking at a map and tracing someone's path that way, but it just wouldn't. Yeah, have been this, as, yeah, but it's not the same very as this. 3D. Like yes, the puzzles were very 3D. Yeah, 
All right, next up is a five-player game of Dubious from Arcane Wonders. This is one off the pile of shame and obligation. First time play. Uh, this was our first experience, so I'm sure we played Extreme and messed up something and didn't do it properly. Uh, I may or may not do up a first thoughts over on Patreon, but what I will say at this point is this is just a uniquely placed game. It's a, it's a mix of indie role-playing game improv style indie role-playing game where you have to come up with stuff on the spot and a social deduction game and not in a hidden trader social deduction in a try to figure out everyone's roles it, it's a hidden trader in the fact that everyone's a trader i guess um the the basic mechanics here is everyone gets an occupation and a secret and they're given two cards of each so two occupation cards and two secrets there are 14 i think of each of these so you know what you have, you know what you didn't take, you know how many players there are, and you're going to use that information to try to guess everyone else's occupation in secret. Now, the role playing comes in with after you pick this, they actually tell you to spend like two to five minutes thinking about a character, like come up with who you are. Think about, you know, what, what your background is, what you look like and all that stuff. Once everyone's got their character, you're going to go through a deck of question cards and every game is going to have five of them. Two are based on appearance and three are other generic questions. Everyone gets to answer the questions um, one at a time. And then at the end, you're going to refresh everyone by reading through all of them. And while you're answering the questions, everyone else has like a workbook that they're going to use to try to deduce what your occupation and secret is. Now, if you do this and everyone gets your occupation right, you're like, bang on, you got it right. No points, right? Uh, think Dixit scoring in a way. Same thing. If no one guesses your occupation, terrible. No points. Now, if just one person out of your entire group gets your occupation wrong, that's perfect scoring. And a perfect game would be you get everyone else's right and every one person gets each of yours wrong. Very neat game. Yeah, I knew I was in for something interesting because you were sitting there reading the rule book and you kept going, this is fascinating. <laughs> I said, what are we playing next? You're like, it's fascinating. Uh, yeah, it was super fun. Uh, the kids got into it. Everyone was laughing and having a good time. Uh, the role-playing aspects were fun. I'm so glad we took this home as a review copy because it is not something I would have looked at twice, yeah. honestly. Uh, right? Social deduction game. Why would Mo grab this one? Unless it's 275 at Goodwill. <laughs> All right. Last physical game of, of our last little period, our last gaming period since last time we were here, is My City, um, Mr. Knizia and cosmos uh four of us me d and the kids sat down and finished all three games of chapter two churches um which i anyone who's picked up the envelope for chapter two knows this is in here so i'm not spoiling anything by saying this added new tiles to the game new scoring opportunities and the biggest change is less predictability which i thought was fascinating now i don't want to say too much because i don't want to actually spoil the game for anyone um, but what I will say is this new stuff made the decisions harder. Um, honestly, at some points, agonizing. Man, it's it's rough now. It's it's not the quick, light, fun game it was just one chapter ago. There's a lot more to think about. It's now more important than ever to plan ahead. And you're going to find yourself playing the odds, like to the fact that I would even say there's a push your luck element in this game now when you get to near the end of a chapter. Yeah, it's, I mean, in this style of game, it's always neat because we started out identical, right? Yeah. And as we go further, now we've really diverged at this mm -hmm. point. And I just, it, that, that part's been interesting to see how, 
how much we're different already in just into chapter two, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I like how we play three games in a row, and I like how each individual game is nice and short, but overall we're playing a full chapter, so that's just meaty enough to feel like we actually did something every time Fair. we sit down. Yep. So I've been digging it, though I may rename it to Misery City if it keeps uh, up <laughs> yes. in the- Oh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I, I like how quick the games have been going. Like, like we wrapped up three rounds in about an hour, I think, maybe a little bit more. I, I wasn't yeah, actually well, watching. That's, that's, I think that's actually- Yeah, I think it was about an hour. And, and, and I mentioned this last time, and it still stays true. Uh, despite the fact you are playing the same game three times in a row, the little subtle differences in each chapter um, have kept things fresh. Now, I will say from chapter one to chapter two was a significant change. There was, mm-hmm. there was a big step there. Things changed quite a bit. But between the three chapters... In chapter two, or the three games in chapter two, there was just a little tweak each time, just a little thing that they changed that just made it slightly more interesting. And I, that, I think, is what makes it keep feeling fresh. Why I'm willing to play three games in a row. Yeah, exactly that. Like, it's just incremental. You're playing the same game over and over again with just small changes each time. And there's, I don't know, there's just something super satisfying about that. Yep. And and there's also a lot of great catch-up mechanics that are mm-hmm. built into the game, so there's no runaway leader problem. Yeah, at this point, our scores are all one point away from each other. Like, like I, I think the, the biggest gap from first to last is two points on the overall scale of things. It might even be one point. Um, the other thing we saw is the first tiebreaker. We had to go two tiebreakers uh, apart from each other, which was kind of interesting to see, especially because our boards are not the same anymore. Um, like, our, the board you're playing on is different. The tiles in our supplies are now different. There, I guess that's a bit of a spoiler. Sorry. Maybe I shouldn't have said that one. So you did the tiebreaker and then the tiebreaker. And then didn't you go to the third one? It was you and Jen. No, it was the second one. It was the second one, I think. Maybe it was a third. We tied. We tied on the tiebreaker. Then I think we went through the next tiebreaker. Okay. And there were more. Like, that's something else I got to say. This this game has more tiebreakers than any game I've seen, Uh, which is important because someone has to win because of the way you divvy, divvy up prizes at the end. And it does continue to do the thing where, like, the, the winners tend to get punished and the losers tend to get bonuses. Um, there was less punishing of the winners, which was nice to see, actually. Uh, finally, I got one other one to talk about. I wanted to talk about this one with Sean. Uh, I don't even know if he's tried it yet, but there is now a Point Salad app. Um, I don't even know who to thank, but someone got a hold of us email and offered us keys to check it out as long as we talk about it. I apologize for not even knowing. It's whoever developed the app. Um, this is now out on Steam, iOS, and Android. And the big thing here is it's cross-platform. So if you have it on Steam and I have it on iOS, and Deanna's got it on her, her Android phone, we could all play a game of Point Salad together. Um, so far, I'm impressed with it. I haven't done, I did more games than anyone else because I had to wait for Mexican food. So I got in a lot of solo plays, but we also did try it pass and play. It's Point Salad. It's, it, it plays like Point Salad. It's, if you know Point Salad, you know how to play this game. It is a little prettier. Um, I thought the theme actually worked a little better here because I never noticed the point cards. We always talked about point cards were plates. So you're actually scoring what's on your plates at the end of the game. And I totally missed that in, in the physical game, whereas on the app, it looks like plates. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, finding a game was easy. I, I could have found someone online to play anytime. There was no waiting rooms where I had to sit there for a while. It was just there. And like I said the cross platform seems great, though. I will admit we haven't tried it yet. So I I can't decide on this one. I need to play it a few more times. I've just played it once, pass and play. But just my gut reaction playing it once is I strongly prefer the paper version. Okay. I don't like how it keeps track of the math ongoing as you play. 
And I just, something about the way you have to toggle to look at which cards other people are collecting. I don't know, something about just, it didn't click for me. It just didn't feel as enjoyable. Yeah, I think I think it kind of has, like, the problem I have with the Onitama app, you have to get the thing past you and then look to see what changed, as opposed to seeing it happen. Maybe if we weren't playing pass and play, you would see what the other players are drafting. But then I think you'd still have to tap to be able to see their full spread. And and yeah, I'm with you on the tracking everyone's score. Because to me, that does take something away from the game. Yes, point salad is all in open information. Uh, the math's not hard, but it does take some time to add up everyone's score. And you're not always willing to sit there before you draft a card to look at what everyone else has and do all the math before you, to make an optimal move. And if you play like that, you're probably just going to frustrate your opponents. And I've found some of the fun of point salad is getting away with something, right? Like someone not noticing that point card you have or not realizing you've got a combination going. And you can't get that from the app. No, that exactly, right? You can't be sneaky. The game's just too transparent with everything. Yeah. Um, it is nice. Uh, like, I love pass and play games. I love that it has a pass and play feature. Yeah. And I like that, you know, it's in your phone and we can pull it out when we don't have a game with us, which yes. is actually why we ended up pulling it out that day. This is so, definitely more yeah. portable. All right. Ah, uh, that's it for our games played. But you know what? We have Deanna here, and that doesn't happen all that often. And she's not always with us live. So are there any games we've been playing lately that you want to share your thoughts on? Especially if it's something you disagree with Sean and I on. Doesn't have to be something we just played last week. Like something we talked about two weeks ago or something when we were talking about kids' table board games or something. Uh, is there anything you'd like to share? Or do you have a new favorite game you want to hype? Well, I've already gone on about both Ghost in the Machine and do mentions. So uh, what okay. else? I've really been enjoying Marrakesh. Hmm. Um, that one is just fun. Uh, there's something about that game I find so satisfying. Um, I think it's replacing Trajan as my new favorite felt. Um, <laughs> I could talk about how much I've been loving Zensu. Because uh, that game, that game is phenomenal. Uh, oh my God, Destinies. We played Destinies. I... Uh, we finally got that to the table, and I know mentioned it, Mo mentioned it last, I think it was last episode, yep. but there's something about that game. Okay, there was this Amiga game that we played back in the day, and I think it was called Darklands, yep. and it turns out it was based on the Dark Eye, which is Aventuria. Yes. So the setting just felt like that to me. It felt like okay. that whole um, saints are real. They're, you know, we're going to go in the Middle Ages church god jesus all of that you know but it's all it's all real there are witches there are werewolves there you can go pray and actually get blessed by god and that's what it reminded me of and and mm -hmm. also even the the very witch way elements in the game reminded me of that as well and it, it just i don't know it really did it for me it felt like a role-playing game like a like a witch way book like a really good witch way book role-playing game kind of thing going on and even though I, I, I lost, I was super sucked into the game and couldn't wait to play it again. Fair enough. Yeah, I got to say, uh, the first time you go into, well, I think we both did the same thing in the first scenario, you go in to talk to the priest. And just seeing that menu of things you could do did give me flashbacks to Darklands or, or any of the other, that style of role-playing game, uh, 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 the computer role-playing game. Which I hadn't really even thought of it as a computer role-playing game, but it really does kind of scratch that itch. It, it feels like you're playing through... Um, not a JRPG though, like like a very Ameritrash RPG. Right, because I need you at that table to play this. I wouldn't want to be yeah. playing a solo. I don't know if you can play it solo. I wouldn't want to play a solo version. That two player interacting with you, playing against you, 
Yes. That's what brought the game, right? Yeah, yeah. Especially with you completing things, I wanted to compete. Like, there was definitely some competition there. That's the other thing that's worth calling out. I I don't know how much we went into that last week. This is a competitive game. There is a winner. You are trying to win. This is not a cooperative adventure, happy, let's go save the town together game. And you're trying to hide your win condition and bluff a bit while yep. you're trying to complete it. It's, yeah, it's neat. Yeah, because if it becomes too obvious what your win condition is, the other player then can go try to stop you from accomplishing it, which we didn't do a lot of that. But like once you saw, oh, I don't want to spoil anything. Never mind. <laughs> I'll just <Yeah>. stop. <laughs> yep. All right. As for the coming weeks, we'd like to talk about this. Um, hopefully things calm down for Sean. Um, he gets through this tumultuous time um, with his, his job and his company still intact. Um, and we can start playing games with Sean again and we can get him back in the show. Not that we don't appreciate Dana being here, of course. Um, I've got a bunch of unboxings recorded. Like, I think we counted them up the other day and it was like nine or 18 or something of them. Um, so we're going to try to get out two of those a week in the future. Again, I didn't get to this week because again, Sean's the one that does the editing. Um, I'm still working on catching up on written reviews. I did get a couple up this past week. So you can now find reviews of what did I get up this week? Um, the robots expansion from monstrosity destinies and blocking key, I think are the ones that's, that's without me actually looking it up, uh, head over to tabletopbellhop.com to read those. Um, even if you listen to our audio reviews, I do go into more detail in general in the written reviews, cover a few more things and share lots of pictures. Now, as for games, um, I think D would slaughter me if I didn't allow us to continue playing dimensions over at Brenda's on Sunday. Um, and my youngest daughter has insisted we play Dubious again. So I, I think I'm going to be bringing both of those. Um, and I'd like to, with the girls, get in another chapter of my city. I don't know if there'll be much, el- m- much else going on, but we're going to try to at least fit those in by next week. Yeah, we're on the same page there. More Dimensions, more My City. I think the only other thing I'm doing is uh, starting tomorrow and planning on looking at the list of publishers and like... Figuring yes. out all the games I want to check out at Gamma because yeah. there's so much that I'm looking forward to there. Yeah, that is that is, that is on our schedule for Thursday. Thursday is Gamma Day. We're, we're gonna we have so many emails from people who want to meet up. We gotta we gotta whittle that down. Before we sign off for the night, let's take a moment to thank a selection of our awesome tabletop bellhop Patreon patrons. Starting with Jeff and Sheila Seuss. Thank you, Seusses. And thank you, Kat and Tori Domey. Brian Van Beek. Thank you, Brian. William Fisher. Thank you. Andrew Dacey. Thank you, Andrew. Did you just hear a double bell? Uh, probably. I think you guys did. Yeah, I, there was a bell, right? I'm going to pretend I heard a double bell because it's time to shut the lobby doors and lock things up. Well, we can't be here 24-7. You can always find us at tabletopbellhop.com. All over the web as Tabletop Bellhop, one word, and on your podcatcher of choice as the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast. Now, the one thing we all love, Deanna, Sean, and I, almost as much as games, is coffee. If you enjoyed the show tonight, why not buy us a coffee over at coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash Tabletop Bellhop, one word, as always. And you can also show your support by giving us a thumbs up, a like leave a comment, or just by telling your friends and fellow gamers about our show. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am your Tabletop Bellhop, Mo Tuzano. And I am the -the behind-the-scenes magic that makes all of this work, Deanna. Thank you, and game on. Find full reviews, show notes, and more at tabletopbellhop.com. 
graphic design by Brian Weiss at RPG & Co. Music is Nimbus by Eveningland. The podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution license. <laughs>